Hi there, it's Charles from the future. We've got a really great episode for you today. We recorded with Wyatt from First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, talking about Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, The Convert. But before we get into that, there is some housekeeping we have to do. We recorded these Mandalorian episodes several weeks out, uh, and in the intervening time, the WGA has actually gone on strike. Now, it is the official position of the Gold Squadron Gaze podcast that writers should be compensated fairly for the work that they do and that they should have workplace protections in place. That is the official stance of the show. We stand with the WGA and their strike. That being said, we are not going to discuss it uh, for a couple of weeks on the show, mainly because a lot of these episodes were recorded prior to the strike taking place, and so we obviously couldn't see the future. And then the ones that had come up after the strike has started are guest episodes, and we don't want to take time away from the guests discussing the Mandalorian episodes. So Bradley and I will actually discuss the writer's strike in some more depth. The next episode that we record that is just us, which will be episode seven. So you can look forward to us discussing that. Uh, we're going to record that in a couple of weeks here and we'll just give all of our thoughts then. But for now, just know that we stand in solidarity with the writers. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. We hope you enjoy uh, this upcoming episode and the rest of our Mandalorian coverage. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and we we have a guest. Guest. I need to come up with a cleaner guest segue. Bradley, remind me to do that. You know what I should have led with? I should have led with that I've seen a lot of Star Wars, because our guest is... Uh, I'm Wyatt. I am the world's foremost Mandoverse hater and renaissance man, and I am also the host of uh, First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, one of the hosts, along with Calvin and Andy, and I am a guest on this fine podcast for the second time you brought me yes, back for for the uh the actual mandalorian this time because wyatt and calvin joined us last time for the book of boba fett your episode actually no that's not technically true you were telling us before uh we hit record because you were on the mandalorian episode of book of boba fett yes i was on the one uh i was on the ahsoka episode i remember because i was not happy and and I, I, I've, I've calmed down. I've mellowed about it. But I, there's still some things I'm not a fan of. But I, I, I was excited for Mandalorian season three. I'm really glad to be back, and I, I did enjoy this episode. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. Yes, I, I, I sent, because uh, I sent first steps a message. Spoilers uh, for later in the season. Calvin will also be joining us. Uh, and I sent first steps a message and basically said, one of you is on what this episode. One of you is on another episode. Pick amongst your who wants to come on what and Wyatt you picked this episode out of the I two I did pick this episode at the time it was because I had not seen episode 5 but I knew enough about it to know that I, I was way more interested in this episode and what you guys thought about it so I'm, I'm super excited for it Wyatt yes. do you like Legends? 
I do. Uh, do you like I, learning about Legends trivia? I might know some of it already, but yes. There's a fuck ton of it in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I do know that. It got weird. It, that's it the got other, like deep. That's the other thing that I want to I want to preemptively apologize to our guest is is normally I try to keep my notes shorter uh, when we have a guest on. I did not do this. Uh, so Wyatt, you are getting the authentic Gold Squadron gaze experience. I got it last time too. We, it was also <laughs> an incredibly long note. <laughs> episode i don't know what you guys are talking about you could have just convinced me this is how you always do it that's true uh, this is normally what i subject bradley to just to set to the stage how far have you gotten in this series no pressure uh, because aaron literally came on the show for episode one having not seen anything past episode one we won't judge you that. I, I just have to ask i have seen through episode four i do have a general idea of where the story goes and just sort of like where it goes away from the contents of today's episode i i don't care about spoilers i don't like this show all that much put a pin in um the show doesn't quite know what denjarin's name is oh no that i did hear about that you did I, hear I heard about, about that, that on okay. the twitter machine i heard about that see this I, is why i try not to post anything to twitter even after the show has come out i was about to post something about a dr afro comic that had come out like three weeks ago and i was gonna spoiler it but then i got busy with work today and i completely forgot well those i read religiously because that is the best star wars content as you should uh i have a give Alyssa wong a show i i've met them actually they are fucking lovely in person yeah actually over over on uh over on my bookshelf i actually have a signed like pride squadron card that i got framed uh that Alyssa wong actually signed which was neat delightful Uh, i just got the new afro black series mailed to me with like the comic packaging super cool see i kind of want to get that and i don't even read the comics but i love the packaging it is is cool i did did destroy it a little bit but i put it back together i wanted her out of the cardboard prison you have to read the comp we're going to talk about this at some point because i know you've listened to the audio drama and you liked it i did you gotta get through you gotta get through the first run which is fine and then you gotta get to the current run which is fucking unhinged i love it i love everything about it i have a screenshot folder on my phone of just like photos of just lucky and ariel so yeah i'm obsessed you do have to read it it's one of the few like male gay relationships in star wars it's great they're like messy exes it's fantastic speaking of things that are probably fantastic just as a reminder to everyone i have to jump out uh up front before we dive into this episode of Andor. Sorry, The Mandalorian. That was not a genuine mistake. That was a bit. Please, it's diet Andor at best. (laughs) It's diet Andor. It's we saw Andor and decided that the writing should suddenly become good. Before we get into The Mandalorian, really fast, you're going to be listening to this after May 4th. We are obviously recording it before May 4th because hooray, the nine, 10 day lead time. I'm so happy. Uh, so just as a reminder, the two things that are coming out, uh, Visions 2, we will cover at some point. Uh, we're probably going to do an impressions episode, uh, but we are going to be diving into Vision season one after we finish Mando season three. So keep your ear to the ground. We might do Visions two as a bonus episode. We might do it as a episode after we're done with Mandalorian. We might wait until we have time to actually do it after Ahsoka. We're not 100% sure yet. Bear with us. I will be watching the hell out of Young Jedi Adventures. I don't <laughs> think we're going to do an episode on it. Why are you so excited for this preschooler show? 
I cannot. Because I've been fucking miserable since August of 2016. It started then. It hasn't stopped. It just keeps going. It keeps getting worse. I need to feel some semblance of joy in my life. And they have a tiny blue bear voiced by D. Bradley Baker that has a lightsaber, Bradley. And God damn it, if this is the only thing that makes me feel fucking happy, I will goddamn take it. You fucking twink. So you're going to go to Build-A-Bear, basically, and probably get, whenever they inevitably make one at Build-A-Bear, you'll probably get one, I'm assuming. Fucking watch me. (laughs) I support Nub's capitalism. This week, we're talking about The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, The Convert. On Coruscant, former Imperials find amnesty in the New Republic. Wyatt, what is one thing you liked about this episode, and one thing you did not? So I really, the, the Coruscant Renaissance continues. I really appreciated seeing Coruscant in the New Republic era because I did, even before Clone Wars came out, I had a hand-me-down box of Legends books, including the Thrawn trilogy. So even though I wasn't a kid in the 90s, this was a formative Star Wars experience for me. And I, my experience with Star Wars was on New Republic Coruscant. And so it was so cool to finally see that in live action. I, I don't actually care about the live action thing, but on television, it was cool. Filmed, it was real, it was there, and I really liked that. One thing I didn't like, I had a thought early in the episode where I was like, ah, they've left Bo-Katan's helmet on because they don't have Katie Sackhoff that day. And then I don't actually, I think I would have rather that been the case. One thing that I liked, I'm going to say the 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 exploration of, of Dr. Pershing's character and the depth of the writing when it comes to him and also the nonverbal communication that the actor does with his body language, the way he, he really dives into this character, the way he clearly hasn't been able to before. Because this gentleman is a fucking fantastic actor and I was endeared to Pershing in the other episodes, but this one I felt like I really understood him and there's there's a really good writing moment uh at the end of the episode we'll talk about it because this is actually my third or fourth time watching the episode uh when i was taking notes on this and they do something with his character that i had not even noticed so when i've watched this like four times and i'm still noticing things that they did that is a lot of care has been put into the writing of the dr pershing section i actually have two things that i disliked that i'm going to give equal credence to the first is the structure of this episode is ass um it's it's (laughs) it's not good (laughs) because we have uh, a scene of the mandalorian and then something completely different and then more another one scene of the mandalorian that have no connection to each other whatsoever and i'm like you should have put these two scenes at the end of the last episode or you should have put the first one at the end of the last episode and you should have put the last scene at the beginning of the first where you cut these episodes off john is fucking incoherent it I, makes no goddamn sense i know i picked this episode but it fe- i feel like i'm cursed for these episodes every time i come on your show how are you cursed wyatt because they it's a, not an episode of the mandalorian <laughs> you jumped into you were in book of boba fett and it turned out to be an episode of the mandalorian and now you're on the mandalorian and it turns out to be an episode of andor in two years i'm going to be on retooled rangers of the new republic and it's going to be something else <laughs> we'll have you on the episode of ahsoka that turns into the book of boba fett honestly that's what we'll I, do that might get me back on board I, that, that that jumps the shark back <laughs> like around and now it's good again. that'll I'm, balance I'm back. you out yeah because we'll make a full circle 
I was telling Bradley we probably won't do guests for Ahsoka because our our coverage of the Jedi, just the two of us, was two and a half hours long edited and he cut like an hour out of that episode but i will make an exception if there's an episode where ahsoka randomly turns into something else we're inviting wyatt back <laughs> the Fair. other thing i i didn't like i'm actually gonna disagree with wyatt i thought that the coruscant stuff while i do love seeing coruscant i disliked how it didn't necessarily line up with these sort of rundown course well let me phrase that a different way i wish we would have seen more of the effects of the end of the empire and the beginning of the new republic because reading alphabet squadron and aftermath you get a much different vibe of coruscant in those books than you get into this episode and while it's been some time i kind of wish we'd seen a little bit of those effects uh, maybe it's it's slightly grungier in the Amnesty compound or when he's not in the like shiny New Republic area. It was a small gripe, but there's, it, it just didn't gel with the books for me. And I always get annoyed when my Star Wars doesn't match up. Uh, hello, beginning of Bad Batch and also Tales of the Jedi, my enemy. Yeah, we just, that was, uh, it is out now uh, and it will obviously be out by the time this uh, Gold Squadron, or Squadron episode releases. That was our first steps last episode and we had a lengthy segment on the ways in which it worked that that episode of the tales of the jedi works and doesn't work as an adaptation slash because it's so weird it's just weird it's a weird situation that's never going to come up in star wars again Very yeah strange. and one thing i don't even know if y'all mentioned it in your episode but one thing too is like the brother and sister in ahsoka apparently originally had name in the credits of the episode like those are supposed to be different characters and they removed the names i did not know that i just all... to make them village brother and village sister yeah because well because i pointed out that wikipedia treats the episodes of ahsoka the novel and the episodes of the tales of the jedi episode is two different things which i do as well i think that's so funny i don't <laughs> uh because there's no way it's not the intent of the work but I, I think it's a way funnier answer is that ahsoka keeps being like you know what fuck it i'm getting into farming and then every <laughs> single time an inquisitor shows up Should've if, gone that's, if that's true i was gonna say if that's true i want it to happen again should yeah it should be one more time they should do a comic that's what yeah. they should do they should do a comic like and have the comic <laughs> the comic no have the comic somehow overwrite both the book and the episode put the uh, queer people back in it publishing's revenge make it make it more gay add more gay people bradley one thing you liked and one thing you didn't real quick i'll say i i love katie o'brien a phenomenal actor i just i don't know what it is they just have like this charisma uniqueness nerve and talent that i just love so much and i don't know i something about them i just i love so much aside from what i loved uh what i hated which you hinted on is the fucking format of this fucking this episode. is gonna be your hated thing for every single episode Bradley. it's true it though your like hated thing for the last two episodes exactly because they don't know how to structure the episode properly like i don't understand like you could have taken things episode two put them in episode one making episode two shorter and then having first part of episode three and the last part of episode three as the finale of episode two and that would have been chef's kiss it would have been perfect that's my only nitpick for this episode other than that it is literally 
generally like amazing. All right, well, let's dive in. Bradley, I have a note from the recap before you get into the summary of the episode, which is I do want to point out that literally Dr. Pershing is introduced in season one by Werner Herzog, who says his enthusiasm outweighs his discretion. I feel like this line is going to be important to understanding some of the choices that Dr. Pershing makes over the course of this episode. Man, remember when Werner Herzog was here? That was wild. That was that a truly was fucking wild time. amazing. Do you remember when they got Werner Herzog to be in a Star Wars and he didn't know shit about it, but he showed up and somehow he was the most Star Wars thing in the Star Wars? And he was the one who told he, the you are cowards leave it about baby, the baby Yoda pup, puppet when they were going to augment him with CGI is honestly probably what I will remember most about the show. It's the funniest thing ever. He just intimidated John Favreau and Dave Filoni and be like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Uh, I, I also would be intimidated by Werner Herzog. Uh, if he called me a coward, I would simply do not do whatever he said not to do. Yeah. All right, Bradley, take us into the show. The show thing, what that we are watching. We begin with Din and Bo in the Mines of Mandalore, where Din takes some of the living waters as proof of his redemption. They leave the planet to recover Din's ship and are attacked by TIE interceptors. Din and Bo flee in Bo's ship and are pursued by the TIEs until they are saved by Din and his starfighter. They witness the destruction of Bo's castle by the TIE bombers and escape by jumping into hyperspace. Title card, chapter 19, The Convert. I do like how even with the helmets on, the performers that are inside the suits are so fucking good that they convey so much emotion just by how they're holding themselves. Well, and that may be Katie Sackhoff. I, I was sort of laughing because of the noted they don't have it, Pedro it, it, thing. We don't know. It likely is, but like we can't say 100% yeah. if we that's Katie Sackhoff we don't, in the suit. We do know the two guys who are Din when Pedro's not there. So, but we don't know Katie. Brendan Wayne stuntman. and Latif Crowder, who are being yep. credited this season alongside Pedro Pascal. They are getting equal billing to him as playing the Mandalorian. And that is good, especially given how much of Star Wars' legacy is built on special effects. It's cool that the, the guys behind that are, that are not the stars are getting credit. And they're great. I can't tell easily when it's not Pedro. So it's 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 good. Yeah, it's, I think there's a certain like in season one, you'd sort of know like there was one that was doing something specific. Like one of them was specifically yeah. the fight guy and one of them was specifically the, the movement guy. But now it's just all so seamless. And I know that, that Katie Sackhoff did have like stunt doubles and things, but yeah, it's also impossible to say she did say that is some of her in the helmet i think she talked about specifically the fighter scenes uh yeah. being an interesting challenge to act with the helmet on but man she does such a good job such a good job yeah take a moment of silence remembering bo-katan's sad girl boss throne may it rest in peace See, it's sad because somebody pointed out, somebody was like, Wyatt, have you watched any of, of Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon? No. Any of that? No. None of it interests me. I am not a I am not a beards and swords guy. Okay. Well, somebody was pointing out, Bradley, I guess we'll may get this somebody was like oh it's the dragon stone of star wars it's the castle that the girl boss goes off to to sulk in okay so charles i may have watched game of thrones <laughs> and house of the dragon <laughs> okay. however i have so not do you remember a single bit of okay information let me help stupid you stupid ass fantasy do you show. remember the giant black obsidian doom fortress 
that the white-haired lady runs off to at the end of House of the Dragon yes, to sulk do. and do her thing. Okay, <laughs> that's Dragonstone. Gotcha. Well, you know, apparently everything in that show is a dragon or made of a dragon or is a house of a dragon. So I, I wonder if dragons in the name. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, because apparently the the bombings of Mandalore during the purge and bombings plural apparently made a lot of seismic activity happen. I don't know if this is accurate to geology. I know nukes do something wild to to. Like, I don't think it's it's not worse than any of Star Wars's usual crimes against science. They they got the like fusion bombing kind of sort of right, according to Aaron in our episode one. But yeah, apparently it caused a bunch of earthquakes. So I don't know if this is accurate. Tag me on Twitter and let me know if this is a thing that nukes actually do. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Gold Squad Gates. And uh, you... us at uh, at First Steps SW. Uh, I've remembered the login, so you might even get me. Yes, tag <laughs> First Steps and tell them. No, don't actually, don't actually do that. Calvin and Stephanie will kill me if I send people over to tag the Twitter with <laughs> geology facts. So they fly away uh, from the planet. Den says this is the way. Bo, who has not taken her helmet off, says this is the way back, which is a horrifying moment with a lot of implications of the character. However, something more important then happens immediately afterwards, which is Grogu tries to say this is the way. He's this very adorable. I am compelled by the garble. small frog man. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? When he tried to say this is the way, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm sold. This is the best episode of the entire series. <laughs> well, and it irritatingly pays off the Book of Boba episode where he picks it. Like, there's, I didn't like that it was there, but they have continued the character development of Grogu as choosing Mandalorian rather than Jedi. He's like Tar Vizsla. He's just a force using Mandalorian now. Mm. Well, Vizsla was a Jedi. I I'm full of shit. Put a, put a pin in that. Put a pin in that, Wyatt, because you'll be very interested in some stuff that happens in episode seven. <laughs> literally, <laughs> he just he literally on the Zoom call, like put a pin, pantomime, putting a pin back in the grenade, Bradley. I'm pretty sure <laughs> none of us have double checked since Bradley and I had that argument on the air as to what putting the pin back in it means. So I'm just going to go with I'm right. Man, did I step on something here? I was just doing a little bit because uh, I think doing uh, visual bits on an audio medium is the funniest thing ever. See, here's the thing, Wyatt. When you come onto Gold Squadron Gaze, uh, you are walking into a minefield of arguments that Bradley and I have had. It's really, this is why we bring guests on, just to incite more violence between myself and Bradley, since that is what the listener base want. They have made it loud and clear that they are here for the violence. It is called Star Wars. It is called Star War, not Star the co-hosts get along. They are attacked by TIE Interceptors. Now, I was going to make a point here about foreshadowing. Wyatt has not seen the back half of the season. So I'm just going to say it's real interesting that the TIE Interceptors show up seemingly out of nowhere. I and also... There's there no is capital no capital ship. ship. As, as long as that gets somewhat explained during the back half of the season, I'll be fine. Because interceptors in particular shouldn't have hyperdrives. They don't. And that, yeah, I know they don't. I I, I know too much about. Uh, I had the essential guide to vehicles and vessels when I was a kid. Uh, the old uh, reference. So I know so much. I used to read it at breakfast. Yes, the only Tie fighters that have hyperdrives, as we know, Wyatt, are uh, the Tie defenders, which have hyperdrives specifically because Thrawn is smart. 
And the tie, whatever the fuck Ben Solo was flying in Rise of Skywalker. I thought the two seaters because... had it. Uh, the two seater first order tie that Finn and Poe steal. I thought that had a hyperdrive. We don't see it used, but I, I thought I remembered that. Maybe I'm wrong. You might be right. You might be right that the First Order stuff I, might have. I remember a lot of the First Order stuff was, especially in the reference books, was explicit improvements on Imperial tech, and I thought that was one of them. Well, these are standard Imperial TIE interceptors. They don't have hyperdrives, and yes, that will get explained. That was a fun bit of thing I didn't know I was supposed to be asking that question when I first watched this, but I find it interesting that Wyatt is now asking the question. So I will be circling back and asking Wyatt what, what he thinks of the final couple of episodes, because that will explain. We'll see if Wyatt figures out the twist faster than I did. Let's put it that way. I'm very stupid. Din does his thing where he like ascends in the ship and then cuts the engine and drops. I uh, love that. I do love that. This is his that. favorite move and we've seen him do it before. I did like get really excited on first watch of this episode when I realized he was doing the razor crest thing with the new N1. Yes. I do like because it's a, it's a nice little moment of Din is still piloting the same way even if he has a different ship. Because that's just who Din is as a person. He doesn't change willingly. He has to be dragged kicking and screaming into making any sort of changes to himself. So I did like that. I like dogfights and doing it in the cliffs in Kalevala is a really interesting set piece. Yes, it was fun. I li yeah. also like to see the uh, the Mandalorian carrier, uh, which I have a Lego of uh, actually on my bookshelf. I like to see it move like a fighter. It was fun because it's a it's a big ship. It's not the little fang fighters that they have. So it was fun seeing Bo-Katan making it move. Do you want to know something very embarrassing about me, Wyatt? Sure. I thought the Fang Fighter and the Gauntlet were the same thing for an embarrassingly long amount of time. I think I also thought that until uh, the Gauntlet showed back up in Rebels and, I, and it sits next to the Ghost and he's like three times bigger than it. And I, I remember when, when Ezra brings the Gauntlet back in Rebels, I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's huge. Yeah, I... I thought they were the same thing, and so when I got, because I have the Gauntlet Lego, and I was like, oh, this is the same as that Mandalorian fighter, and now I'm realizing, no, the Gauntlet is a dropship, which does Which does it is used sense. as in this episode to get Din out of it when he goes down to pilot his ship. It does! I did not, I just brushed right on over that. Yeah, because we see <laughs> it being did, used as a dropship. I didn't put that in my name. <laughs> Bradley, I have like 50-something notes. That's true, I mean, we can't, you know, we can't focus on an actual episode of The Mandalorian when we have a whole nother episode we have to talk Correct. about so it's really hard to do this show is about to be briefly become another better show <laughs> <laughs> so we have to focus on that my next note is oh no not castle crease this is this is when we we get to the the thing is blowing up why it is saluting it i when when she was sitting bisexually on the girl boss throne when he rolled up was so funny. I love that she's not the antagonist, but I like I enjoyed the episode where she was being an asshole to Din. She has lady villain energy without being a lady villain. Yes. Yes. That's a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> she knows how to tap into that when she needs to. It's because she spent time as a villain, so she knows that lady villain kind of swagger. Uh, but she is not a lady villain anymore. So she combines all of the best parts. You could say she walks both paths. That was uh, that was a thing that, that was a thing that Wyatt won't get. Bradley's eyes are rolling into the back of his head. Like it was kind of creepy, actually. 
That was really like, funny, though. I, I mean, like, the, I don't like that you said that, but I think it's hilarious because <laughs> it does connect later. But that's hilarious. it is. It is a very, very funny joke. Also, regrettably, I must admit that I did come around to shipping uh, Denbo, but I do firmly believe that uh, they are are buy for buy energy, uh, and I do feel this the same way as I felt about Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress. See, I've always, I've long maintained that the best way or the, the most complete way that Dave Filoni is a successor to George Lucas is that he can't write romance for shit. Because I think if Dave Filoni could write romance, we would have had Sabine and Ezra. And he just sort of gave up and was like, fuck it, they're siblings. So I, I don't think we're ever going to, I don't have confidence in this show ever giving us any kind of romantic subplot ever. Aside I have... from side characters like the frog lady. Two exceptions. <laughs> Not the frog lady. Three exceptions. One of them is the frog lady. It's one in each show. He gets one in each show right. Because Kanan and Hera. That's that's a good point. That's a good are, point. Although are I, a flawless. I'm still irritated. Couple. I'm still irritated with how season four implies they weren't married the whole time. But they that, almost kiss in the shorts, and it's like right before season one, and then they never bring it up again. Oh, and also, um, you cannot tell me that Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine Kreese is not the peak of chivalric romance. I have heard some very good ace interpretations of that, arrow ace, because of brother uh not brotherhood, Padawan. So I it's a great relationship. I am not sure I would call it strictly romantic. Hmm. I had never heard that interpretation, and I kind of want to hear it from someone now. Yeah, I'll, it was on Twitter. Reading. I'll link. I'll link the. I'll see if I can find any of the tweets. It was more of like a queer platonic, queer platonic thing, but also just sort of with if it's really well into his duty as a Jedi nonsense, which I agree works well as a chivalric sort of Jane Austen chivalry kind of style thing. But I I enjoy it either way. You're, it's a good point. Clone Wars is so all all over the place. That, Clone Wars uh, is all over the place, and they almost had it too if they just put Dark Disciple in Clone Wars. See, but I'm not giving Dave any credit for that. No, that that's 100 percent Katie Lucas. That is 100 percent Katie Lucas by way of Christy Golden. I will also give Christy Golden credit for that. Yeah, uh, because we don't know how much of that was Golden, how much of that was Katie Lucas. I'm not giving Katie Lucas's dad a damn ounce of credit for any of this. No, the man can't. We know that man was not involved. Anyway, and now for something. I'm getting us off topic. Welcome to Gold Squadron Gaze. We tangent all the time. And now for something completely different, Bradley. We move on to a totally different show where former Imperial scientist Dr. Pershing speaks at the Galaxy's Opera House about his experience in the amnesty program and his desire to use his expertise to help the New Republic. Later, he meets fellow residents at Amnesty Housing, including communications officer Elias Kane, who used to work for Moff Gideon. They reminisce about their time under the Empire and the small things that they miss. Later, Pershing receives a crate of yellow travel biscuits he mentioned missing earlier. So here's a fun question uh, to break people's brains. Is Coruscant the capital of the New Republic in these scenes? Because the descriptive audio says it is. Oh, oh no. And season two of The Mandalorian says it's not. Uh-oh. I mean, so per canon, the New Republic moves its capital. Correct. Repeatedly. Which I do, 
I do think that that's how people are reconciling it, that it's the capital in this episode. I, I also am going to say that I, I think the descriptive audio was written by somebody who may have checked the wiki and gotten Coruscant as the capital and just seen that. This I, is I, also I, possible. Which is not, uh, descriptive audio is great and I, it's cool that they have it and I'm glad that it's that detailed, but I, I don't think I would take that as gospel. I, I take it as it's the capital right now just yeah, because sure. there's nothing necessarily in the season contradicting it but I we think don't even that, know where we are in the timeline really yeah we're in like nine aby no depending on if you listen to john favreau which i would not recommend if no. you listen to john favreau it makes no goddamn all. sense i don't believe him at all he's a that liar was such a, it was such a fun day on star wars twitter when he said that i beat my the head on of, the desk at work the amount of times the amount of get the fuck out of here energy <laughs> coming off the the app on my phone was amazing i think he does that on purpose it, it, it definitely had to be to draw up hype for the show or something because he was just kind of like well i guess it's like two years later or whatever it's like shut, shut the no 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 grogu was away from did for maybe a month shut the fuck up i don't like this at all two years two years no, apparently no no it's, it's it exists in the same place as how long does the empire strikes back take a couple of weeks I've heard, and then some people say six months, other people say like even longer for the Falcon to make the journey. No, the answer is it's faking in space, as Harrison you Ford so eloquently me, put it. I think you it's know what makes like me an fucking hour insane. 45 minutes, but you know, I don't yeah, know. Brad, <laughs> Bradley is correct. You know what makes me fucking insane about timelines? Revenge of the Sith is supposed to take place over like 10 days. Yeah, I knew that. Which, yeah, which. I so much happens in Revenge of the Sith that it makes my brain hurt to think about the fact that that is like a week and a half. For some reason, that's always worked for me Uh, just because I think it's because I grew up with stories of uh, I, I bought the fact that Anakin wouldn't be back on Coruscant for very long because he was always out fighting. So it just always seemed like he was there for a short stopover. The thing that I spent years bonking my head against the microphone for was the fact that we're letting the Clone Wars still be three years. See, I'm I'm okay with that one because I think it's either, I think it's World War One was like three years. It's one of the World Wars, I think. I looked it up and it was pretty close to three years. Yeah, no, I know a lot could happen in that time. I just like think, I think Ahsoka should be older than she is, basically. That, that I will give you. Dave. She's an alien. It's not, so not Dave's cares? fault. You know, I mean. you know what gets me? You know what gets me is honestly, and I, I give them a little bit of credit because this would have been really hard to do with the model. They should have gradually aged Ahsoka up every season instead of doing that time jump in the yes. middle of season three or at the beginning especially of season three. Especially because they, they had unlimited budget. Like they were on George's checks. So they weren't <laughs> subject to the restrictions a normal animated show is. I think Tales of the De Jedi attempted to do this with the with the non-tube top young Ahsoka. Ahsoka. They attempted to show like a, a middle ground kind of thing, aged up Ahsoka. I keep forgetting that episode exists. It's I my favorite one. Tell the, Jedi exists. <laughs> the 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 Ahsoka training episode, I think I said on the show was my favorite. It's not the best. It's my favorite. You did. And it's very interesting because we we didn't hate it, but we were like, what is the point of this? So if you listen to our coverage of Tales of the Jedi and you want to hear a different perspective on why that episode is an important story to tell, go listen to First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, specifically the episode who it's it's a title something about dooku dooku is a something dooku i don't is remember a man dooku is a 
strong, sexy man. I'm just kidding. I have no I idea. Mean, he is in I have episodes. no idea what the title is called. This one I couldn't remember any of us saying, but I will I will find that in just a second. I want to shout out this specific episode and none of us remember what the episode is called. <laughs> Dooku the Loose Cannon. Dooku the Loose Cannon. I believe, embarrassingly, I believe that's something I said. Go listen to Dooku the Loose Cannon, uh, the episode of First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, uh, where Wyatt will talk about his impressions of the practice makes perfect episode we have just tangented completely away from coruscant i was gonna say back to coruscant <laughs> back to coruscant which may or may not be the capital of the new republic so it was the setting for that tales of the jedi episode so we've gone full circle thank you thank you wyatt we need to bring <laughs> wyatt on more wyatt is so good at tangenting us back onto where we need to be we're back at the opera building that uh, the, the same the smash cut building. to coruscant was so funny after this just like i i i, I think had a I had seen like a, a couple tweets being like, oh, this is a different thing. And I had heard the Andor comparison, so I wasn't totally shocked. But it's like, oh, shit, that's not that that's not the space Western I was expecting. Nope. We're randomly in space Blade Runner at the opera building uh, where Dr. Pershing is giving a TED talk. This was a common joke that was made, but it's funny. So I'm making it again. It's also true. It's also 100% correct. Uh, so he's giving this TED talk to a packed auditorium. Uh, and my next note is, oh, he has to die because he is spilling shit. Because the first couple of times I listened to this and he's talking about my research was about taking different DNA bits from different donors and trying to make something better from them. My first thought was, oh, that's an interesting little bit of cloning lore. And then uh, I won't I won't specifically say what I was thinking now because spoilers for the season finale. But this time I watched it and I was like, that man needs to shut the fuck up right yeah. now. But we and we knew that man he, is saying so many things he should not be in public. I, and I like I know that they want Grogu presumably because he's force sensitive. Like that's the secret. And I, I it's I don't remember. I think Mandalorian came out before Rise of Skywalker. But like there's so much in current Star Wars media that's leading towards the Emperor wants to clone himself. Bad Batch is full of it, uh, which is fun. Uh, so that's that I always assumed that's where we were going with this sort of stuff. It's interesting where where it's going. Just the fact that Pershing is basically getting up and he's saying a bunch of things he really should not be saying in public, being broadcast to people where lots of people can see it. Uh, and this is why he has to die. I, I do believe this is the reason he has to die. He also has to die because he's spinning a sympathetic backstory. Book smart, not street smart. That's what I will say about this man. Which, uh, put a pen in that sympathetic backstory. We will come back to that sympathetic backstory that he talks about his, his mom, like, if she'd had a new heart or whatever, she could have. And that's the moment where he decided to dedicate his life to science or whatever. Put a pen in that specific backstory, because we'll come back to that. I also have in my notes, Strandcasts, let's go. Snoke time, baby. I also noted that, but I couldn't remember where it was from. Uh, uh, but that's, that's what it was. Strandcaster mentioned for the first time early in this exact show. Uh, they are mentioned in season one that they ah, don't that's... think Grogu is a strand cast. So they don't think he is like one of these weird amalgamation clones that you can make. They think, or the, like a Snoke thing. I guess Snoke is a strand cast or whatever. All right, so there's so many 
goddamn fucking like extra people with speaking lines. I in knew you were gonna bring this up. Okay, so I was gonna episode. let you kind of go for this because there's two there's two scenes here with extra with a ton people. of them. Right. I'm not gonna go through everybody's credits. Yeah, it is a lot. So and, I was gonna I'm say not... pick your favorite, maybe like or one that stands out the most to you because well, there was one person at least in the opera house that stood out to me. Well, I what I'll do. Here's what I'll do is I'll, I'll I'll read out the four and then we'll try to work out which one stood out to you. Okay. Uh, so the four people playing the aristocrats, uh, they're all like TV that guys. One of them uh, is is a pretty decently big voice actor. He's been in a lot of voice things. Uh, these people are, and I apologize for butchering these names potentially, uh, in order of appearance. Valerie Pettiford, Stephen Kieran, who is the voice actor, more prominently a voice actor, uh, Norwood Cheek, and Vienne Cox are the four people who are portraying the aristocrats. Which one stuck out to you, Bradley? And I think I, I can probably tell you which one it was. It was Vienne Cox. Yeah, I, what's funny is I'm looking at her IMDb, haven't seen a single thing she's been in yet i know exactly who she is is that so weird like i don't know why but i've seen her before and i couldn't tell you where but i've just seen her before like i just recognized her i was like oh she's a that guy yeah, yeah i just that's I just what a that guy is. is so that's weird. what a that guy is but i'm looking at all these things on her imdb and i'm like i've never seen a single one of these things like ever you've never, never seen, seen you got mail i've seen uh, you got mail, but i didn't uh, recognize you, her you've never seen aaron brockovich i don't even know who that is <laughs> oh my and i'm looking like at the tv shows and seeing like which one she has the most episodes in and i'm like i've never heard of gracie i've never heard of she's Indoor in three Boys. episodes of smash she's in law and order she's in sex in the city you, you watch I've sex never in the city? watch any of this shit oh my i'm learning new things about you but anyway that's the one i recognize even though i've never seen a single project that she's been in okay well she gets uh shout out for credits uh just yeah. because we're trying to figure out where bradley's seen her <laughs> there you go maybe bradley will remember who knows again i apologize to there's so many i know like voice characters who are voicing different people and things we we can't possibly go through all of them so i wrote down some of the ones that i wanted to talk about like with the last episode and the stunt performers it is 100 worth going back and just look at the imdb page for these people because they're fantastic all of them i i'm sorry we just don't have the time to go through all of their stuff because i want to talk about what's actually happening in the scene which is that rich people suck uh, and they're not affected by any political change whatsoever. Yeah, We've this... seen this already before in this series. <laughs> not well, not this particular series, but in the universe. In I guess, Star Wars, yes. yeah, it's it's almost like there's multiple this. instances, like in in Andor, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. These are two instances I could think of off the top of my head. The even the, in the prequels with the uh, corporations retaining representation in the Republic Senate, even though they're funding the separatist army. Yes, it's like they're insulated from everything. Uh, I don't think the corporations ever get punished for the Clone Wars, even though they're the ones doing most of the atrocities oh, and the planets. Yeah, so I was thinking about that. I can't remember what we said because in, in Legends, they got nationalized because the fear was the Soviet Union at the time. Nationalization, communism was the big bad when a lot of Legend stuff was written. I, I but in, in They didn't. They didn't. And I can tell you why I just remembered because they still have representation in the Imperial Senate. That's Those what it was, two yeah. Senators 
yeah, that are like it was pitching the... at Bail Organa in in the uh, the really good episode of Bad Batch. It was Clone Conspiracy, yeah. Clone Conspiracy, yeah. Those are one of them is like the banking clan senator, yep. who's not immune because the immunes had the banking clan taken away from them. Yeah, so that they that like individual people who are the heads of those corporations got punished in that they all got murdered, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't because they were corporation heads. That was because Anakin was having a really bad day. They had the misfortune of having seen Darth Sidious and That's Darth Sidious point. is too smart to let people who have seen his face go walking around. So yeah, there's an interesting thing with this scene and it is a little on the nose to have them talk about how, oh, I can't tell the difference between the Empire and the Republic and the New Republic. It's all the same to me. Very on the nose writing, but I'll give it to you because they're making an excellent point. It puts the diet in Diet Andor. It does. So he hops in a taxi, and I am so sorry for what's about to happen. Bradley, do you want to learn some Legends trivia? Oh, God. I actually don't care what your answer is because you're going to learn it. Every single (laughs) thing that this droid Uber driver says is a reference to something in Legends. Of course it is. They might as well have had the droid be voiced by Pablo Hidalgo. (laughs) They fucking should have. Oh, my God. Who is voicing the droid? Curious now. Dylan Fershing is voicing the droid. Uh... He is an associate editor on The Mandalorian. So continuing our trend, which we will continue in this very episode of droids and random aliens being voiced by people who work on The Mandalorian in some capacity. He is an assistant editor. Rapid fire, here we go. I would have I would have staggered this out and annoyed Bradley with it, but Wyatt is here, so I'm just going to rapid fire through all of this. You'll hear me clicking because I have all of the Wikipedia pages up in the background <laughs> to read these off. So... The droid Uber driver references the Skydome Botanical Garden, which first appeared in the 1994 novel Jedi Search by Kevin J. Anderson. References My Cess Blossoms. Uh, they first appear in Rage of the Wookiees, the second expansion to the MMO Star Wars Galaxies, which released in 2005. Yeah, I have a very sad story about that, but we don't have pop, time for that story. That's a Pablo Hidalgo thing. If it's West I'll End or Star Wars Galaxies, that, it's always him when it's the MMOs and the uh, the role-playing games. The Galactic Museum has been mentioned in canon before. It appeared in Star Wars 2020, number 9, 10, and 11, and also in number 29, but it did originate in Legends. It's shown up a few places. Uh, Looks like the first appearance is Tales of... uh, I don't know if it's the first appearance. Tales of the Jedi, the Frida Nad Uprising, number one. Uh, (laughs) That's a a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I love those comics. It lists it it as uh, its first appearance, Um, so I'm just going to go with that. Also mentions the Holographic Museum of Extinct Animals. Now, in Legends, it was the holographic zoo of extinct animals and appeared in the 1994 novel Dark Apprentice, also by Kevin J. Anderson. And finally, the Manta Bog of Malastare originated in Coruscant and the Corwells, the 2003 supplement for the Star Wars role-playing game by WOTC. This is another Pablo Hidalgo one. It's the that's, easiest way to tell. That's if, all if it's of the role-playing game. Uh, it's fun. I, I Even though they're all references, they work. Like, I didn't know... I knew they were all references because that's how this thing goes. But it worked just as like filler for the world. It, it helps make Coruscant feel a little bit more real. Well, I started Googling it because I was like, oh, I'm going to make Bradley fucking insane if any of these are actually references. So I started out by Googling the Skydome Botanical Gardens because I was like, that's a really specific thing to put in there. So I Googled it and it pops up. 
it was from Legends. I'm like, okay, what about Minos Blossoms? Googled it, popped up, it's from Legends. I think it was by the time I got to the Holographic Museum of Extinct Animals that I went, all of these are going to be Legends. Yeah, I do like how this droid seems to be programmed to be annoying. I found it, yeah, it was vaguely unsettling how his head <laughs> faced backwards while he was driving. And the person's and like, I, look at the road, look at the road. I know he's not like a human person, so his sensors can interact and not hit cars, but it was just, it was a good, the most Andor thing about this episode was how unsettling the interactions between Pershing and the Republic droids were. Like that sense of unease was what I felt that Andor did really, one of the standout things about Andor. And I thought it was interesting to see that sort of technique applied in the New Republic era. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the implications here as story choices, but it's less like I don't think they're good and more I would have done something different. Yeah, I think that this episode has a lot of interesting things to say and we'll get to it actually in in like 30 seconds. Uh, the New Republic makes some choices that I'm like, mm, you have arrived at the Empire again by accident. You have bureaucracied yourself away into dehumanizing people. That's a little messed up, guys. All right, let's get this other cast list out of the way. So the amnesty officers, there's four of them there. Uh, one of them is obviously Katie O'Brien, we know already. Uh, the others are the main amnesty officer is being played by Matthew Bellows. Uh, the other two are James Chen and Max Fowler. And when I went to research this, I actually found out that IMDb has the, the numbers mixed up. Matthew Bellows, who's the main guy, is playing Amnesty Officer M34. Max Fowler, who is the twink, is playing uh, M40. But on IMDb, they have them flipped. I mean, I know the numbers don't actually mean anything, but it's like, so does that mean he's 34 and he's 40? And then they were just like <laughs> messing up the ages or something. Maybe. I think it's interesting, though, that IMDb did mess this up because it brings yeah. up an interesting point about the numbers, which is the fact that when they enter the amnesty program they've taken away their name like yeah, they can't this, even introduce themselves to other amnesty people as their own name this is the story choice i would not have done and this is how i know that they're not talking to the animation department because bad batch is so focused on the humanization of the clones who were born with numbers and and the now getting to stormtroopers who will eventually be called like tk421 and all that stuff giving up their names as a huge and referring to the clones as their names versus their numbers is a huge indicator of whether they're viewed as people or not. And I just don't like, I don't like that the New Republic, I know they, because of where we end up in the sequels, I know they can't be great. I know we they have to provide the, the like atmosphere for the rise of the First Order, but we're not that far out. Can we let them be good for a little bit, please? I think the choice for me reads as it very much is the type of thing that some politician is going to come up with like some old white guy who's like 85 years old who's in charge yeah. of this program who's going to look at it and be like well we want to have them distance themselves from who they were in the empire so we're gonna just give them numbers and that'll work and not do any sort of like figuring out whether or not this is a good idea thinking about whether or not you've accidentally done an 
vampire again. Like, they also seem so overtaxed, and we'll get to it in some of the later scenes. Yeah. They seem so overtaxed that it it's likely that the amnesty program maybe only went through like one or two drafts before they arrived. So on the one hand, it's like, wow, that is really on the nose. The New Republic is just doing an empire again by accident. On the other hand, I do absolutely 100% believe that this is the type of thing some sort of well-meaning old bureaucrat politician guy is going to come up with. Just like the, guy, the people in the first scene who were completely disconnected. Something somebody come up came up with and all of their assistants told them it was a good idea and so they instituted it and they didn't think about it at all while they were doing it. But that I would wonder, never happen in our real I'm, life at all. I'm really curious if Mon Mothma is still the, the uh, chancellor. At she this point. is? She is. Have you seen the Ahsoka trailer? Yes, she's in it, but I don't know where the fuck anything is in the timeline. So she's I just... still the chancellor. Okay, because I because like we're getting so much more depth to her, and so I have a feeling of like, oh, Mon Mothma wouldn't do that. I know her big thing in canon is demilitarizing. Which we get later in this episode. Yes, which was a really good connection, and I just, I know it's in here so that Elia Kane can dramatically say her name, Dr. Pershing, so that we can have a nice emotional moment, so you care about their friendship for they betray before she betrays him. I understand storytelling and the writing that's going on here in terms of that, but I don't like it. This is a personal thing. Like, I know it's not a problem with the episode. It's just a thing I'm like, eh. I wish that even if they have numbers, I wish that they weren't like, why? Why do they do that? Why do all the amnesty offers comply with that? Yeah, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to like mess up my script by saying this like during the whole entire time. But like, even when I was looking at it on Wikipedia, basically, like they refer to Elias Kane as like G, uh, whatever it is. It's like G38 or something like that. And I'm like, that's so confusing. Or we refer to them as comms officer. And I'm like, well, we, we get the name reveal later on, but I just, Eli I Kane. Like the name. Her name is Elias yeah. Kane. I was like, we're going to say the name because I just, I, ugh, it just irks me to say like a person's name is a number. Like it just, it's so hard to, to talk in a normal setting. <laughs> as mentioned earlier, the wiki plays everything so completely. They're, they're, they're just Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. And I know I, it's an editorial policy. It's just kind of silly sometimes. My one thing that irks me, and it's been irking me a lot with Mando, and it's been irking me a lot with some of his other stuff. For some reason, when Dave does a thing, for the most part, no one does any tie-in media for it. This has irked me a great deal in this season, and it's kind of irked me a little bit too in Bad Batch now that I go back and think about it. There is no tie-in media for this that directly was written with the intention of tying into this story. The only time that's really happened is A New Dawn. And A New Dawn is fucking fantastic and goes so, so, it's such a good look at Kanan and Hera's relationship and how it starts and where they are as characters. Servants of the Empire is the only other one I can think of. Where Servants of the Empire was basically, hey, do you remember that plot thread we didn't follow up on in season one? Here's some books about that. Other than that, while something's coming out, they really don't have a lot of tie-in media for it. Clone Wars is only just now getting stuff, like within the past couple of years, to flesh out aside some of the for, things that weren't fleshed out. Aside from all the stuff that they did during the original run that's now non-canon. There was a ton of tie-in media back in the day. Well, there was like comic. Yes, there were they, comics. They did some small comics. There were a few Karen Travis novels that weren't good. Those those did not tie into the Clone Wars show. Those were part of the Clone Wars multimedia project that George Lucas was like, I'm not going to fucking pay attention to this. That's I... why Karen Travis walked away. She was mad because George Lucas completely ignored everything she had done for Mandalore. All of her world building. Yes. And she Karen... got mad and canceled Imperial Commando. Karen Travis sucked. She does suck. She's fucking awful. But uh, there's a, no, there's a one 
there's one. There's a couple that because uh, it's Karen Travis doing her like military sci-fi where she has young Captain Paleon there, and she makes and he makes Ahsoka put on a shirt, and it's like all this weird. It's a it's such a like it's what? a Clone Wars novel by somebody that hates the Clone Wars, and I can't remember the name of it. I'm, I, I promise it exists. I owned it. I'm gonna find the name because I definitely read the everything up through order. It wasn't Karen Travis because I definitely read everything up through order 66 in like 2007. Oh, Karen Travis actually wrote the novelization for the Clone Wars movie, but I wa- I don't want that. I She fucking want... what? <laughs> oh, so so there was one called Wild Space, which was not Karen Travis. It was actually uh, it was another Karen, which is really funny. It was a gal named Karen Miller. No Prisoners is what I'm thinking of. Clone Wars No Prisoners was tie-in. It had, <laughs> Charles, you should get this. It had Callista. What? Callista. Why? And, and Jin Altus. Why did you do this? It, it is the exact moment of the the where the Clone Wars is part of Legends and the Clone Wars is its own thing. Like it's it just it's insane. Yeah. So Clone Wars did this weird thing like with its tie-ins where it was trying to reconcile it with the others, but it didn't get any like it got some minor stuff, but it was never like. It didn't get the quality of novel that some of the other tie-in material got. No. Like. Well, and and the in the Disney era, they've been doing this, like you said, that the, the tie-in media pushes for a lot of things right. have been really good, even though they haven't been able to touch like major events like they used to. Like the Thrawn trilogy would never be a book these days. It's amazing that aftermath doing has it in a... the High Republic. Well, the so High that's, Republic's I mean, getting big events. I just listened to Cataclysm. For but book the High Club. Republic is the reason why you don't have tie-ins to Dave stuff right now because publishing is completely consumed with the high republic as it should be it's better yeah but like that's that's why there's no the slot that would have been the bad batch tie-in novel is occupied by the high republic multimedia project well my issue is like something would come out look at the sequels as a counterexample, right yeah so force awakens you have aftermath that came out that basically explained what happened how did how did we get here why is there a star destroyer crashed in the trailer well that was empire's end which came out after. That's true. But we got a little bit sort of explaining why are we here? And then they went back and fleshed it out a little bit uh, with more stuff. Last Jedi. Last Jedi was weird and it kind of focused on characters like Phasma was part of Journey to the Last Jedi. It was two days after Force Awakens. They couldn't do anything. Right. Rise of Skywalker. Resistance Reborn came out prior. And Resistance Reborn was basically how do we deal with the stuff from Last Jedi and get the Resistance back to the point they are. Like that stuff is in the book. I do wish that, like, we would get more tie-in material, oh, or maybe even one. just stuff in... You knew that, right? They they canceled the Mandalorian novel. There was originally going to be one. Yes, yes, and then it got thrown out. It's weird, and we don't have time to get into all that, but basically my overarching point is that I would have liked some sort of comic or short story in Star Wars Insider or something that explained how did the Amnesty program get this way. That would have been a good place for that, and maybe we'll go back and get it later, but while Dave Filoni's stuff comes out, it doesn't really get tied in media and even obi-wan kenobi got tie-in stuff 
Like, it didn't tie in directly to the show, but they released a whole-ass Obi-Wan Kenobi novel in Brotherhood. And there was and, that Obi-Wan comic. And I the Obi-Wan comic. Like, they released Obi-Wan stuff to tie into the Obi-Wan show. Even though it didn't directly address the plot, it kind of explained the character a little bit better. So, like, if you read Brotherhood and you go to Obi-Wan Kenobi, you feel a certain way about the opening scene of, of uh, Episode 5 of Obi-Wan Kenobi when he's sparring with Anakin. So, I don't know. I wish that we would get more contextualization, even just announced during these show runs, but I guess that's gonna have to come later. They haven't even really done tie-in material for the first season of Mandalorian. Like, yeah, that... Boba Fett was actually absolutely crying out, and they're doing a tie-in novel for Jedi Survivor. They're doing like an Inquisitor novel now, and I'm like, where's my Garza Flip comic? Where's that? Yeah, I do think the behind-the-scenes shit that ends up making this episode exist in its current format, I think is responsible for a lot of that. I, f I wonder if we have the same theory. I, I do want to do a brief shout out because we've mentioned him multiple times. We're not going to go through his resume, but I do want to shout him out because this is his episode. Omid Abtahi, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, sorry if I, I mispronounced that. This is Omid's episode. Uh, he is fucking killing it in every scene he's in, which is most of the episode. Yeah, if he, fantastic. if he was a less good actor, as many people have been who have appeared on The Mandalorian, it would be... It wouldn't work. None of this episode. If he doesn't carry it, this episode is just a complete and total waste of time. Lore be damned. Even KDM O'Brien, who's good, like great, is doesn't really get a chance to shine until like the end of the episode. No, and I like this is not a slight, but she's definitely in the Gal Gadot, uh, Gina Carano school of acting where she's definitely like making a lot of sort of simple faces. I think she's pretty good, but she's another one of those where she was a she was something else turned actor. Actor. And she's good. She's way better than Carano. Oh, but... yeah. 100%. I was about to say, like, same school, different classes. Oh, yeah. No, she's she's in the in the 400 level and and Gina was in the 100. <laughs> I do love that. The, just the whole scene where they're talking about like, oh, the little things that we miss from the Empire, because that's how fascism restarts. You get into a new system and then you start thinking, I kind of liked it when I was, you know, getting food regularly through this thing, even though this thing was controlled by like an authoritarian government that had a death grip on society. It was like, man, that was kind of nice. Remember, remember how, how the trains ran on time when the Empire was in charge? Yeah, the thing that make this made this scene work for me as like actually sympathetic to the characters is they're all young. None of yes. them, I would say, remember, even if they were alive, remember the Republic, maybe Pershing a little bit. It's they're living through their version of when the Republic transitioned to the Empire going the other way, obviously, and they acknowledge that the Empire was bad, but it's a huge thing in their lives. And it was interesting, especially coming off Bad Batch, which is about the beginning of the conscripts and the beginning of normal people being the majority of the imperial army it was i i that was the bit of the amnesty program stuff that i really liked is not to be like hey fascists are people too but it's like well sometimes the government job gives you health insurance and people fascists aren't people too but people do can come around to supporting fascism pretty easily 
Well, and so that's the thing that bugs me a little bit about the amnesty program is that that's not the alliance that Andor didn't die for this. Right. It's interesting, too, when like you look at it from the angle of, well, the bureaucrats are back in charge now and it's the same people or the same type of people who were doing it. But also like, yeah, it is frustrating to watch the New Republic suck so hard. It shouldn't. it, It needs to be aspirational. Why is the resistance fighting for it? What are they fighting for? Bloodline did a much better job of explaining why the New Republic fell than this did. That and I, I, this is honestly why I hope Coruscant's not the capital. I don't want everybody there. I don't want this to be the flagship thing. This should be something that's just like on Coruscant. They're trying. Speaking of Coruscant, uh, I have the word ecumenopolis in my notes. Yeah, because they said it, right? They said it out loud. I'll get to that. There's no broad overarching point that I want to make about the word ecumenopolis, except for the fact that when I watched this episode with my boyfriend, about five minutes prior to this scene, he was like, oh, I forgot Coruscant was like an ecumenopolis monopolist or something like he said the word in casual conversation and then five minutes later the lady was like it is an ecumenopolis and I'm, I turned to my boyfriend. I'm like, I fucking hate you. I learned that word from Star Wars. I honestly thought it was a word made up for Star Wars. It is apparently not. The next day, Pershing works at his job archiving data cards, despite it being unrelated to his expertise. He goes sightseeing with Elias Kane on Coruscant, and she suggests he continue his unfinished research on cloning, despite the New Republic's disinterest. She also gets him in trouble when tricking him into touching a national landmark. The, uh lab guy the the supervisor guy is played by a guy named danny jacobs he is another tv that guy yeah he totally is absolutely i don't know what i've seen him in but he's a that guy you've seen him before in something uh i couldn't tell you where i have seen him before but i'm looking at his cast list i probably yeah no i couldn't tell you where i've seen him before bendu day is another legends reference so bendu day and tongs day i'm going to combine these notes into one note bendu day and tongs day this is an even deeper cut reference are from Dining at Dex's on StarWars.com. I cannot find the exact year, but it is from like something on hyperspace. Uh, So the 2000s. 2009. It's from 2009. It's a hyperspace exclusive article. That's what both of those days of the week from. There are other days of the week, apparently. Uh, I do not care enough to write them down. Well, and Tong's Tong in Tong's day is in Legends. They were the original inhabitants of Coruscant and they go on to become the Mandalorian. Uh, it is apparently still canon, according to Wikipedia. If it's if it's from Ultimate Star Wars, I'm not counting it. That book was terrible. It is not. It is from yeah. Star Wars Build the Millennium Falcon number 61, Guide to the Galaxy, Galactic Time and Dates. Well, and I do like also that Bendu, Bendu has popped up so many places because it's from George Lucas's first draft. Like it was Jedi Bendu in 1974 was the full Star title. Killers the same way. Yep. Star Killer keeps popping up because originally it was called The Adventures of Luke Star Killer. Do you think the Bendu from Rebels would claim the day is named after him? He feels like he would, he feels like he wouldn't give a yes or no answer. He feels like it would be like the arbitrary passage of time is marked by those who experience it. What an irritating moose. (laughs) He's still alive, kind of. It's weird and nebulous, unclear. 
I do have down here, oh shit, he's doing menial labor, meaning Dr. Pershing. Yeah, the Ciro Karn. I, I, it's, I would entirely believe that they arrived at this separately. That This episode is not ripping off Andor at all, but I, I enjoy that it's the same character beat. It's a character whose life calling is something else. Cyril Karn is a cop. Pershing is a scientist and they put him in desk job. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if they saw because John Favreau and Dave Filoni might have seen early cuts. Dave Filoni almost certainly because he's a creative executive at Lucasfilm. But I don't know if John Favreau and I really don't know if the writer of this episode uh, saw any of Andor. They might have just arrived at the same thing. It may be intentional, maybe an intentional parallel. I do. I do think there is some there is some intentionality to the way that Coruscant hasn't changed. And because Andor's Coruscant was very different than every other Coruscant that we've seen, including the way Bad Batch depicts Coruscant. And so it's the fact that it was the concrete jungle rather than the steel and glass that we saw a lot in this episode feels intentional because Andor's production design was was so ingrained in its storytelling because they got the Chernobyl guy. This feels like it's this feels like it's it's intentionally furthering that forward, which is more credit than I usually give the Mandalorian. Yeah, well, I, this isn't I, the Mandalorian anymore. So. No, it's Rangers <laughs> so, of the New Republic. Right, it, it really is. Well, yeah, because Kathleen Kennedy did say like, "Oh, we rolled some ideas from Rangers of the New Republic," and this one, and then Episode Five in particular, I think yeah. were definitely ones that had some stuff rolled in from there's Rangers a, of the New Republic. There's like you know that Domino meme. That like it starts with something crazy and then the huge domino is something yes. else happening. There's a there's a uh, the small domino is Gina Carano shares a QAnon meme. And the, there's several dominoes along the way that are just my gold squadron appearances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. That would be accurate. Because I think now that I've seen this episode, this is the theory I want to say. Now that I've seen this episode of The Mandalorian slash The Rangers of the New Republic, I believe that those episodes, and we uh, mentioned it off here, but uh, Tamara Morrison talked a little bit about how he it, just that Mandalorian showed up in his show. I don't think that was the original plan for Book of Boba. I think that when Rangers of the New Republic died, it impacted Book of Boba in that the episodes that were in Book of Boba, because especially with Ahsoka being in it, those episodes, I feel like could have been the start of Mandalorian season three. Uh, and I think that once they realized that they couldn't do, they were going to have to roll Rangers of the New Republic into uh, season three of The Mandalorian. They were like, OK, we need to get Grogu and Mando back together. We were going to do that at the beginning of Mando season three. It's why I think there's so much nonsense in the Mandalorian focused episodes here. It's like, why are they spending so much time hunting birds? Like, why? Why is it feel stretched? And yet, like nothing's happening is I think that when Rangers of the New Republic died, two episodes of Mando got put in Book of Boba, deleting two episodes of that so that they could fit the Rangers stuff. And now because the, the goal is to end at what we now know is going to be Dave Filoni's movie. That it, end post couldn't move. So the shows had to shift. It does also feel like to an extent, like you can kind of tell again, especially in episode five, which you haven't seen yet. You can tell where Cara Dune was cut out of the story. Like yeah. if you look closely, you can very obviously tell where she was supposed to be. It was even earlier in this season where he's like, "Where's Cara Dune?" And oh she... no, it's it, you go and when you watch the back four episodes, you will be able to tell. Like, oh, this was supposed to be Cara Dune that does this, and they gave it to somebody else. Yeah, and they to... had to kind of bend over backwards to explain it. It would have. I, I think honestly, there's so much of my. I don't think I would be a Mandalorian 
sort of I'm lukewarm on it if Gina Carano the person didn't suck I I definitely would agree with that especially with the first two seasons Uh, because I like the Mandalorian I like it a lot better when she's not in it so a couple of fun facts about the peak scene apparently Omed's kid is here which is cool yes I saw that post his kid is an extra in this scene you can briefly hear the resistance theme it's it's diegetic it's the national anthem they can hear it too yeah, it's like a carnival sounding like version. It's it's in the background yeah. of the scene. Oh yeah. my god, that makes yeah, it's so playing much more sense. At like the fair or wherever. Just they like are. oh my god, it's like them randomly playing "God Bless America" at a fucking fair. Oh my right. god, that makes so much more sense. Yes. It's yeah, like it's in like solo when you played the Imperial and, March. and in Rebels, like the, the yeah. upbeat version. Yep. Right, right, right. Fucking yeah. hell. That makes so much makes so much more sense. Now Charles will go back and watch the episode again. I will not watch the episode again. I'm so tired of watching this fucking episode. I'm done with it for a while. The peekaboo mate has shown up in things before. I uh, did not write down what those things were, but the most prominent one that I give a shit about is Light of the Jedi. Uh, Bradley has actually read Light of the Jedi. Uh, So in the scene at the beginning of part two of the book, where Lena So's having her meeting and she's like, I'm fucking closing the hyperlanes until we figure out what's going on with this. That meeting is occurring at this park. It's Monument Plaza, right? That this is in? It's Monument Plaza that this is in. And this was old old Macquarie concept art that I know first appeared in, I believe, one of the Satine episodes of The Clone Wars was the first time we saw it on screen. Okay, yeah, I I didn't know it was actually visibly seen. Yeah, in this, it's Clone in live Wars. action for the first time, but we've seen Monument Plaza before, and this is it looks it's what it's hmm. supposed to look like. I did not know that. This was the thing Charles should have Googled. Now the actual uh, the actual content of the scene is you know Elia Kane is very obviously manipulating Doctor Pershing, but the thing is we don't know at this point why she's manipulating him. Yeah, I was I was sort of, of of two minds throughout most of the episode, whether she was she was manipulating him on behalf of the New Republic or manipulating him on behalf of the Empire, the Imperial Remnant. I thought she was manipulating him to do the research until we get to the end of the episode. And then we get to the end of the episode. And we find out, oh, no, she's manipulating him to do the thing so she can get him in a position where she could fry his brain. Yes. I, like, I also oh, thought I thought she wanted him to do the work for Gideon. That was my thought. That was same. Or she wanted him to like she or if she was like pushing him that on the New Republic that she was going to eventually reveal that it was even more black ops and more fucked up New Republic stuff. I thought that was a a small chance of that. But no, she wanted to uh, electrify the man. The, The don't touch the rock bit was good. I did love that bit. I think Lena So does actually touch the rock. Like she gets to touch the rock because she's the chancellor. I was going to say Lena So is the chancellor, right? So she gets to she gets to tell the droid to fuck off. Yeah, I'm listening to Cataclysm right now, and it's retroactively made the prequels like make me so angry because every time I see Palpatine in the chancellor's office, I'm like fucking Lena So and Kyung Greylark sat there. How dare you sit in that chair? How dare you think you can be here? Fuck you, Sheev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed this. I, I, it's still knowing that they're on the volume makes the scenes look a little cheap, but I've just accepted it. Everything I, can't. I be will in. say, yeah, there's some obvious volume scenes, particularly the Star Destroyer when they're outside the Star Destroyer that kind of annoyed me. Yeah, uh, that sounded I, like I, I was going to go somewhere and then I no, just didn't. I, just, <laughs> I thought you were going to go into something that you're like, I well, took a but. breath like I was going to go into somewhere and then I didn't. So the next morning, Dr. Pershing is interviewed by a Pearl droid and he asked if he could continue his cloning research on his own time. 
the droid tells him it's not possible due to the Coruscant Accords. He later tells Kane that he wants to prove his research can be used for good, but would need a mobile lab to do so. Kane suggests breaking their parole conditions to acquire it, but Pershing refuses, saying it's too dangerous. At work, he tries to convince a colleague that Imperial equipment set to be destroyed could be put to good use, and later, during a, another parole interview, Pershing hesitates when asked if he feels any anger or resentment to the new Republic government. The recurring are you okay scenes with the droid, where it's like heavily like you can't say anything otherwise, other than you're enjoying it kind of thing. I really like that as that was my favorite bit of the amnesty program lore that we got was the sort of like pseudo mental health meetings with the droid, not a person like and I know droids are people, but like not there's a level between talking to another per like they they don't they're so separated from everybody else pershing and kane don't talk to another person really at all in monument plaza they only talk to other former fascists yeah and i or their boss but i honestly think that's it's not said but i would not be shocked if that's they're sort of like they're they're not supposed to talk to real people they're the former fascists they suck and we're gonna we're gonna make you better but you're not better yet well they make them wear the pins and there's even like a line in the amnesty officer section where he's like yeah you're new to the program the pen to make it easier to identify you and it's like again you're doing a fascism by accident <laughs> Like, I could see how some Which bureaucrat is, And would it's say, so like, nonsense because half the alliance was former Imperials. And you would think that if this was being created by someone who was alliant, that would make sense. But I'll bet you anything that this program was created by someone who wasn't in spitting distance of the Empire or yeah. was nowhere near the war, nowhere near the military and just came up with it. Like, this wouldn't surprise me. Honestly, the that disillusionment, I think, works better into the environment that will lead to the resistance being formed. I've talked myself into it. And you'll see in episode five, too, there's going to be some interesting stuff that Again, I can't reference because you haven't gotten there yet, but we will talk about it with Calvin when he is on. The droid is being played by Regina Hermosillo, I think is how you pronounce this last name. Uh, I do apologize continuously for not knowing how to pronounce any names ever for anyone. She is the set decoration coordinator for The Mandalorian, and she is generally an art department coordinator. So that was the other person who works in the crew of the Mandalorian who gets to voice this droid. We love uh, not we love using non-union voice actors. Well, okay. Well, they're definitely a lot cheaper. I do also I do actually see the face Bradley just made. I do actually like this uh because it's in the tradition of Matt Wood voicing Grievous, and I do think it's really fun when the crew gets to get involved. So I I I would believe it's like we want to let our friends work on like get a little part, but I had to be cynical for a second. I mean we personally here think that season four of The Mandalorian already being written may have something to do with the impending WGA writer strike. But point. I'm definitely not cynical at all about the Walt Disney Corporation and Lucasfilm. I'm not letting them off the hook either. I find it interesting that, that Kane is sort of encouraging Pershing to do things he clearly already wants to do. Because he's a doormat. He, he does what people tell him to do. She's like, she's giving him permission to do a thing he already wants, which I think is an interesting manipulative tactic. Is she's zeroed in on this is a thing that I can use to get him to, to act against the New Republic. And it's just a really interesting bit of personal manipulation. The scene where Pershing is talking to his supervisor. Little fun fact before we dive into the meat of it. They do mission decommissioning the Alliance fleet. Wyatt already said that was Mon Mothma's big push, is that... 
the war is over. We're going to break down the, the Alliance fleet uh, because we're not going to keep it as a military force. I also and we see that they're breaking down the Imperial fleet later in the episode, yes. too. So it's not like we're just like, oh, we're de decommissioning the, uh, the the Corellian Corvettes, but we're keeping these Star Destroyers in reserve. No, they're getting rid of everything, which is going to come back to bite them. Now, they do have a fleet in The Force Awakens. The Republic does have a fleet, uh, but it's clearly not a very good fleet. And they've no. decommissioned and a lot of it. And it's like five ship that get blown, that we can see get blown up with Hosnian. Mm -hmm. There's virtually no fleet. There's some interesting doublespeak going on in this episode when Pershing's like, but we can still make use of this Imperial tech to his boss, who's clearly not making use of him at yeah. all. It's not a subtle show, is it? It is not. It is a very unsubtle show. But like, I, not, not, not in the Andor way where it's like uh, the only way to resist fascism is violent oppression. But this is just like, let's just let's make sure you really understand the metaphor. I'm hitting you with the metaphor. I feel useless because you are not using my skills in a way that would be beneficial, that I have convinced myself would be beneficial. Oh, but it's Imperial Tech. There must be something wrong with it. It's it's not subtle at all, like but in it the is, slightest. It is good. Uh, it's good characterization further of Pershing as somebody who like, I don't he's not he doesn't even notice the fascism. He, no, he thinks he he's convinced himself that his mission is good and he's singularly focused on his mission. He don't he probably doesn't even know Gideon's first name. Like he doesn't care who he works for. He cares about his work. Well, according to Giancarlo Esposito, Gideon's first name is Moth. His first name is Agent. <laughs> his rank then. So he'd be Moth Moth Gideon. Yes, he's Moth Moth Gideon. Name. Yes. Accepted. Oh my God. Accepted as canon. There it is. There's there's the canonical answer. Returning to the droid that he's talking to, and they really should have given him a, him a real person because when Pershing is is nervous, he touches his ear, and he very obviously the camera focuses on it, like touches his ear when the droid asks him a question. And a human person would have noticed that and just known that that's a tell. That something's going on a droid is not going to be programmed to notice that well and it also i don't know if it's intended to be a protocol droid but it's not a 3po unit which is sort of standard for protocol droids so i i would not be shocked if this was again another repurposed thing where it's not necessary it's a it's the droid they had not a droid who could specialize in picking that stuff up as a communication specialist it's just like ah it's a multi-purpose droid i think you're right about that but it's it's even it's not even the right for the scenario. I genuinely do not think that the New Republic has the resources to properly staff or utilize anything correctly. And I have a reason for this that I promise we're getting closer to, uh, but too, I do think that plays into it. The The New Republic is two X-wing pilots in a trench coat and they took away the X-wings. Right. That's exactly what's going on here. Like part of the issue is you've got bureaucrats who've never come anywhere near a war in their life. But then also part of it is some of the people we'll see again in episodes you haven't watched yet. Some of the people who are in charge are ex-military people that have no idea how to be in charge of anything that is not a military. The next day, Pershing meets with Kane and asks for her help in accessing a mobile lab station. Later, they sneak through a checkpoint before boarding a hover train. Kane tells Pershing that they are headed to the disposal yards, reasoning that Imperial ships will have mobile labs. 
They avoid detection and make it to the cruiser and find the lab. Pershing is pleased with the lab's condition, but only takes what he needs. As they leave the ship, they are spotted and surrounded by New Republic soldiers who arrest Pershing. The soldiers allow Kane to depart with the stolen goods. Pershing is shocked and handcuffed by the soldiers. There is also a fun misdirect when Pershing shows up to Aliyah Kane's place and it's like, we're going to go after the mobile lab station. The Snoke theme plays. Like hmm. we get the little throat singing that's like the opera singing type thing. Uh, so the implication being that they're going to steal the tech and he's going to make Snoke. And then that obviously isn't what happened. I thought that was a fun bit of musical misdirect. We do see the uniform on the New Republic guards at the train station. Same uniform as season one. Yep. It, it just is the uniform. The Matt Lanter uh, Memorial uniform. <laughs> yep. I have zero notes about their scene on the train. Yeah. Kong's days, am I right? I, I kind of... Sorry, I had one. It was Tong's days, and I moved it to earlier in the episode gotcha. to save time. One thing I will say is that this is not the same design of hover train as featured in the Clone Wars, a thing that bugged me for no reason. It's just a different looking train. That's fine. It's been 30 years. It could be a different train. <laughs> do, do, do we have trains in Andor? I don't think we see trains in Andor. Not yet. Not on, not on Coruscant. Not Mon on Mothma, Coruscant. Mon Mothma takes her fancy car everywhere. Because she's it, rich as shit. Yeah. yeah, we did. Now I'm trying to think if there are any trains in Andor, but not on Coruscant. And and it <laughs> it was a good. I enjoy so much of Star Wars in terms of like the sneaking around, doing doing infiltration stuff is done by characters who are either experts at it, not smart enough to be stressed about it. Like you've either got like the Bad Batch or you got Han Solo, and they're just like, all right, guess I'm doing it. And so Pershing being really stressed through the whole thing was kind of a fun. Like it added to the tension because he's you know that he's just a guy. He's a nerd why is he sneaking onto a star destroyer with like a jacked comms officer <laughs> like she's clearly she was clearly military trained he's a nerd it's funny watching this like steal shit off a cruiser in the coruscant shipyard scene because it came right after the bad batch episode where they steal shit off the predecessor to the star destroyer in the coruscant shipyards where they in, in the clone conspiracy, the second episode where they get like the data to to implicate Rampart. Truth and, and consequences. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, I just watched this episode. So I remember just basically tuning out. I was like, I know this is I don't really care about the sneaking around. Here's an interesting thing, too, about that sneaking around. It actually transitions me into that theory. There's a whole thing where where Eliakane basically tries to explain why there are no guards there on the Star Destroyer. And she kind of explains it away as, oh, uh, it doesn't work, so they don't need to put guards on there. Which part of it is I think she wants to entrap him. And also part of it is I think the New Republic genuinely does not have enough guards to put them at the shipyard. They don't have enough guards to put them at the shipyard. They don't have enough resources to get proper, like, therapy droids. Yeah, because it's not a trap. People. She doesn't lay a trap for him aside. She just calls the cops. Like, it's not that she, that she, it's, uh, oh, there's no guards because it's a setup. I think you're right. Yeah, I think part of it is it's a setup, but also, like, I don't think there would have been any guards here anyway. I think that had she not called in the cops, the cops would not have showed up. Yeah, they absolutely could have pulled this heist off. They absolutely 100% could have pulled the heist off, which would have followed the heist rules because they don't discuss the plan prior to them doing it. Or they discuss, you know what? I think this actually does follow heist rules because they discuss it up to getting into the lab, and when they leave, the lab is when everything starts to go wrong so i do think this episode of the mandalorian does follow the heist rule yay i does love it when pass, shows do that does not pass the bechdel test does the show i do think the show does the show does i was just the show does episode. this episode does not actually no 
This episode might. No, two women do talk, right? With the armor and Bo-Katan at the end. In this episode, they talk about a man. Is it about they Din? They talk about Din. And it's in the same conversation where they talk about Bo, but gotcha. Din, they also do talk about Din. So maybe, depends on depends on where you draw the Bechdel line, but we're not to that scene yet. Yeah. Here's what was interesting. Is it, so Pershing tells a slightly different story when he's in the lab. You remember all the way back at the beginning of the episode, he tells a story and he's like, my mom had a heart attack and that's when I wanted to devote my life to this. Well, in the, the lab, he's like, well, my mom was a doctor and I used to be in her lab all the time. And I'm like, wait a minute. Because you just, you said at the beginning that that you started your, your weird cloning shit because your mom died. And now you're saying you always wanted to do lab work. So which is it, Dr. Pershing? Which Bit one of, of these is the truth? Bit of both. Like, you can kind of squint, but I'm like, there's a little bit of a discrepancy in the story he was telling to the New Republic from the very beginning. Now I have to think, was he telling that story at the beginning, like, to make people more sympathetic to his work, which is the thing he really cares about? Yes. I think okay. I think everything is true. I think he hung around in his mom's lab and looked up to her. And I think he always wanted to do science. And when she died, it made him devote his life to cloning specifically. I think that is as good as an explanation as we are going to get. Yeah, because I think that it's a good it's a good way to make it sort of sympathetic for why he goes sort of off the deep end and throws away clearly throws away a lot of his morals along the way in pursuit of a vague greater good. Because he's not cloning organs to make people feel better. He's cloning Yodas to try to make something force sensitive. So these things you're saying are so interesting because you haven't seen the finale. I'll be very curious to hear. No, I do think that, that Pershing has also shown throughout the episodes that he'll kind of gaslight himself. He'll kind of twist his own perception of things to justify to himself. But yeah, he he's kind of like... He'll twist his own perception of things to justify whatever he wants to do. And clearly he wants to continue his research. And it's why he can't see Kane crossing him because he's just getting everything he wants from her. Obvious, yeah, the obvious manipulation that she's doing where she's like, you should go to the Star Destroyer. You should do the cloning. And then boom, the amnesty officer from the first, the early scene shows up, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, that I didn't notice the first couple of times I watched the episode that the guy who arrests him is the same guy that's yeah, I, leading what the I noticed, group. What I noticed in this scene is that it's the same Coruscant police gunships that they use in the Clone Wars and Rebels. So it's 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 it was the the like the ones with the the wings like this. They sort of look like Tie Fighters that they use in Rebels all the time. And I was like, hey, it's the same ones. And that is also a because you know what that is? That is repurposed Imperial tech. You sniped my note directly out from under. <laughs> ah, sorry. Got that it. was the thing I that was the thing I pointed out in real life when I watched this episode. Yeah, I I have that Lego set. It is one of my favorite Lego sets Yo, that I own. That is worth so much money now. <laughs> you could sell that for like a couple hundred if you ever wanted to get rid of it. Wyatt, I have mostly intact Lego sets for Star Wars from 1999. I saw those. Uh, I went to a Lego show recently, and that was the first time I saw a couple of those. They were they weren't sealed, but they were in boxes, and the packaging is so cool from back then with the like shiny star wars i actually lettering. kept because when i was a kid i kept some of the old packaging so some of the early sets i actually have the not the packaging but i cut out the front and the back and i have the original a like, fun fact for what you the boxes look like those sets are if you have them from 1999 those sets are basically as old as i am <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I, I was also going to add the fact that uh, every time I'm on the show, I have to make uh, you guys crumble to dust. Oh, no, uh, because here's the thing. I watched the live stream of First Steps with Dark Side Divas. You want to watch people die in real time. Uh, I don't know if you can watch that episode back, but somebody made a reference to being like, not even like a kid. Somebody made a reference to being like a kid when Clone Wars came out and you could watch Chris and Steph both die inside. Yeah, I was like, 10. Their souls I, yeah, disintegrated. I, was, I didn't, I couldn't watch Clone Wars live because it was past my bedtime when it came out. I DVR'd it and watched it in the mornings. I, I like how you're saying all these words that don't exist anymore. <laughs> Technology has even moved on from Christ almighty, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I don't like this. I don't like contemplating this. I had a conversation with work about gray hair coming in earlier today, and I don't want to think about this or talk about this anymore. So Bradley, I need you to move us on to the next <laughs> section. I'm going to even skip my next note because I want to be away from this section as fast as possible. Totally uh, understand. Bradley, get, get us the fuck out of here, please. Later on. Pershing is restrained on an operating table and a Mon Calamari te technician prepares to subject him to a mind flayer. Pershing protests, but the technician reassures him that it is, it is used to treat traumatic memories. Meanwhile, Kane watches the procedure and asks if she can stay, claiming that Pershing is a friend, and the commissioner agrees. However, in secret, Kane raises the mind flayer settings, causing Pershing pain. So I find it interesting that Wyatt's previous point was that they've repurposed Imperial Tech, i.e. the gunship, when it's useful to them. And there's a lot of questions that came up in the aftermath of this episode of why do they repurpose the Mind Flayer? and use it pretty much exactly the same without changing anything, just doing it at a lower setting? The answer is because the New Republic uses Imperial technology after all when they see value in it. And I, I do take the Moncala at face value in that they are attempting to use it therapeutically and it's not supposed to be used to electrocute the minds of amnesty officers but, but they do it anyway yeah I, I i remember seeing some like tweets about this when this episode came out the fact that they left the setting in there i think both speaks to their like we've been talking about the whole time they don't have the time or the resources to fix it but also they just they're not that careful no it's very haphazard and like people like they don't have people that are looking at these things they don't have any sort of qa they don't have any sort of any sort of testing it's it's clear that they like they take what they need from the empire be that a system be that a piece of technology or whatever that they deem that's useful repurpose it put a smiley face on it and say no it's totally good now uh they in legends they did that with actual star destroyers which i always found insane putting well, the starbird on a destroyer just seems so wrong well here's the thing that always irked me about legends i was actually interviewed for a thing about uh january 6th and this was my closing thought in that interview. It's a when strong I was start to this it. anecdote. But I raised the point that the issue that I always had with Legends is that the Empire happens and then the New Republic happens and then everything is basically fine. Like they put the old system of power back exactly as it was. And then everything just sort of continues from there. And there's minor differences like the Jedi can get married now and they have a chief of state instead of a chancellor. But then like... They put Natasi Dalla in the chief of state position. Well, yeah, late legends for gets... some fucking reason. Late legends politics got weird, but they put it back exactly the same, and basically it all worked out. 
Uh, at least there was nothing that happened that was like a giant systemic failure. And I said, one thing that I really like about the new can is it established right off the bat that they put the old thing back in place and then exactly the same thing happened. And my overall point was this is a thing that happens a lot in real life, that if you try to approach it with the mentality of everything will go back to normal, let's just keep doing the same thing, it's not going to work out for you. There was a really good Pablo Hidalgo, I think it was a Twitter thread that is I assume long nuked by him because he's smart enough to delete his tweets. But it was about the original design process in like 2011 or 12 when they decided we're doing the first order, what would become the first order. And they had a conversation in the room where it was like, is space Nazis relevant? Like, is this going to like land with modern audiences? And by the time they're doing Force Awakens into Last Jedi, the alt-right is a and you can totally see that in Hux. Like it just, it's so interesting how well that worked. It's its like, it was the most prequels thing the sequels did was George's like predicting all the stuff that would go uh, wrong with, with war profiteering in the 2000s. I find it really interesting that I understand that the sequel trilogy is haphazard and was kind of written as it went along, but the thematic through line of the villains of The Force Awakens are a couple of pasty white guys cosplaying is Nazis. And the guy who's puppeteering those guys is an old, rich, like, wrinkly dude swanning about in a gold bathrobe, financing the whole thing because it enriches him and puts him in a position of power to do whatever he wants. But then the guy behind that guy is just an old school imperialist who wants to conquer everything. And is also the same guy from the before. Way, but is also the same guy as before. I think is really interesting in looking at the different levels of online fascism and how that like we get from that to the GOP to who's pulling the strings behind that and like we don't have time to get into all of that but I think but, it's really interesting what they did kind of by accident and because they did that kind of by accident it like really that being where we're going I think really helps this episode and stuff they're telling in this era because you can see because the first order was formed out of the new republic worlds left the new republic to join the first order that were feeling particularly fascist on that tongs day and <laughs> they but like some of the people that leave are probably the people that are running the amnesty program if the amnesty maybe the amnesty program gets unpopular because they they use mind flares and they make people numbers and this person's like mad about efficiency and so that planet decides to join the first order like you can see see that there are already divisions in the new republic i've talked myself into this being good and i'm annoyed about it <laughs> i don't like it i love the character journey wyatt for you over the course of uh it'll probably be like an hour and 45 minutes an hour and 30 minutes into the actual episode but we've been recording for about two hours now i love the journey wyatt has gone on it's the exact the opposite of, of last time where i arrived at last episode not that mad and left like physically furious and now i'm just like nah i'm chill again i, I like I, I like this episode actually star wars is good sometimes no and i i also think too like here's a hot history take uh because history is apparently a, a weird like subplot to this podcast it's Gerald the thing i bring Ford. up all the time on first steps is the historical parallels of star wars you should not have said that because i would have put way more history note well i probably wouldn't have because i have too many damn notes already uh but let me bring you on for another history focused one you should listen if you haven't listened to already any of our episodes with aaron on them like any one of them she is a historian she did episode one of, of the mandalorian. mandalorian and she also was on our retrospective for andor yeah that that 
Because Andor is, Tony Gilroy's out there talking about history all the time. Self-plug, go listen to our retrospective of Andor. We actually split it in two halves. We did a, an analysis of the show in the first half, and then Aaron just did a bunch of history stuff in the second half. It's great. My overall point that I was going to arrive at, though, was one of my history hot takes is Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon was one of the stupidest fucking things anyone has ever done in the history of politics ever. It is so dumb because it, it inadvertently led to this idea of people not being accountable when they're in these positions of power. And I get Gerald Ford's mentality at the time where he was trying to move the American people past the Watergate scandal, but it has inadvertently set up a lot of the situation that we see in our current day. And I think that is paralleled in how the New Republic is handling things and the knock-on effect that we're going to get in about 25 years when we get to the rise of the First Order. I just have, I have lots of feelings about the American presidents and the stupid things that they did and how they're reflected in Star Wars. Obviously, the Bush quote is in there as the most famous one. They but... do directly reference George W. Bush in the prequels because but... George Lucas is not subtle. I do want to ask, uh, I want to pull the room. Is Pershing dead or is he just mind wipe? Or is, or is he just having a bad day? This gives me the same exact vibes from Rogue One. So when they do the whole Borgullet thing and he gets quote unquote mind touched, I don't even yeah. know what we're going to call it, but he gets back to normal by the end of the movie, essentially. I think it's a similar thing here. I think she's just kind of doing it to be vindictive. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if it's going to have an everlasting effect. Uh, spoiler, we don't know. We won't find out uh, this season. Yeah, I um, did. I knew that. And it's like this. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. That, it doesn't really add up. So me. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does bug me, too, because I'm like, OK, so you gave the us a whole entire backdoor that... pilot to a different show. And then it's like, what happens? <laughs> like, we don't to know. To me, the implication was was that she wiped his mind. I, I think that is true. I, I it's so hard because I, I go both ways. Like on the one hand, I'm like, oh, she basically she did not kill him, but she essentially turned him into a vegetable, essentially. Yeah. She like, took she away him... the, the smartness, right? That's what I figured was the implication of the scene. And right. then uh, Charles kept saying Pershing has to die. And I'm like, wait, did she kill him? I think he just means in the sense of he knows too much. He's saying too gotcha. much. He's no, releasing I totally too many agree. secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I Here's... think he, I don't think he's dead, dead. I think he's just a vegetable now. Here's my issue. I know for a fact that John Favreau does not plan this shit out. So I can't tell you what the intention is here. I can't guess because the answer to this question is going to be if John Favreau decides he wants Dr. Pershing in this again, he will come up with a bullshit way to put Dr. Pershing back in it. And that's Star Wars at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, really, that is yeah <laughs> so the the moral of this episode is somehow pershing returns I somehow was, pershing will return maul and robot legs flashed before my eyes when you said that there you go i'm that's uh, i think what we'll do is we're gonna get cyborg pershing in the next <laughs> or lobot so lobot much. pershing that's what it's gonna be he's gonna have to add that on would like be a, a good story choice though especially with like the comics what they've done with that implanted SIBO and rebels if we're gonna like talk about a mind wiped pershing a slave to that implant style thing that could be interesting wyatt be real with me. Do you think John Favreau and Dave Filoni have read a fucking comic? 
Well, so uh, the the Josh Gad character in Rebels has one. Yeah, but I don't think they've read the really interesting Lando comics. No, well, so Favreau definitely hasn't. Filoni, I don't think they know other Filoni, stories I would exist. Believe, I would believe that... No, so I think Filoni, my thing with Dave is that I think he absolutely is kept up with publishing in a general sense. And he absolutely... He's the one who'll go to Pablo and be like, hey, is this is something being used? His problem is that he is mad with power and decides if he doesn't like it it doesn't matter he has the decanonize hammer this is true he clearly has read after like he clearly has read the aftermath trilogy. yeah this the mando's setup of the new republic fits way too well with established where we should be uh, more than more than a, a tv show that is really for casual fans would expect i'm just still angry about tales of the jedi and i think i will die mad about tales of the jedi the only thing i care about about tales of the jedi is that she's not black you know i and this will be a sort of preview of the first step uh a star wars podcast episode dooku is a loose cannon or dooku yep, is a loose cannon it. did i get it yay i'm such a real fan of this podcast uh i actually love first steps it's one of my favorite podcasts on thursdays or it's thursdays or tuesdays that it comes out ah uh, this week it came out Tuesday, so I believe it would be Tuesdays. I think it's Tuesdays. I think it's Tuesdays it gets to be like immediately slotted in wherever it comes out. But yeah, I actually agree with Wyatt's point uh, that if you're telling a truncated version of the story, it would be really hard to throw that the line uh, from the book in there. The one line yeah. where uh, the gay stuff, the gay stuff I actually thought was translated fairly well because I went in saying I heard queer erasure and whitewashing and i came out believing one of them. yeah it's we don't have time to litigate tales of the yeah. jedi i basically agree with why it's overarching point that it would have been really hard to put it in there right. uh, yeah i think it could have been done but if they had made the character very clearly the same character and maybe done something with the animation yeah like if if because you can animate faces better if she had looked at ahsoka a certain way at the end of the episode that at least conveyed those lines of dialogue from the book maybe yeah. but but yeah, go listen to the first steps episode. It's really it's quite good. And it gives Tales of the Jedi a very fair shake. I yeah, I'm a huge fan of the concept of Tales of the Jedi. I want them to do it forever. I want them to do different characters that are not Ahsoka. Well, yes, I think <laughs> I I think that was as much a marketing decision as anything else. I say that in the episode as well. I think it's it's the same. It's why we got baby Yoda instead of baby Moncala. Like you need somebody to bring the people in. Uh, and I I need somebody, namely me, to yank us back on track. Sorry. Uh, because we have we have tangented away again, which is as much my fault as anyone else's. Well, actually, will... you're speaking of tangents, and that's actually a great segue into the next that section is. because <laughs> guess what? We're no longer in our side story. Thirty five minutes <laughs> later, they and have randomly no cuts, decided. no intercutting, no, no intercutting, which is fucking bizarre. Did you I not learn about that? Did you not learn the lesson from? Stranger Things season two. You just <laughs> I didn't watch Stranger Things season two. It, there's an episode that's a standalone that I believe would have worked way better intercut between a couple episodes. It jars the main story to us to a stop like yep. this does, and then when you get back to the main story, you've lost all momentum, and it doesn't give a fair shake to the side story that it was. It's right. a structural problem, same as this episode. Absolutely, because elsewhere, Din and Bo arrived at the secret Mandalorian enclave, where Din presents the armor with a sample of the living waters as proof of his redemption because she has also bathed in the waters Bo is welcome to the covert as well because she Bo didn't can... take her stupid helmet off <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh this is the first this is the first 
of many uh, what I am calling Bo-Katan bullshit technicalities. Because this is going to happen a lot this season. Something is going to happen, usually around Bo-Katan, that is a bullshit technicality. Like, oh, technically she didn't take her helmet off. Technically she jumped into the living waters. Never mind she didn't say the creed or do it intentionally. Well, so I, and this is something I've seen thrown around, is that the armorer just wanted rid of Din. She didn't think there was a chance in hell he would actually either go do it or survive. Like, she had, like, a way to prove it, but she's like, she he comes back with the living waters. She's like, oh, no shit, really? You really did that? Are you insane? I have a similar theory, but I did address the armor, her scene in episode one, in our episode two, because when we recorded our episode one, the finale hadn't come out yet. And my theory was very similar, that she she didn't think that he was going to actually succeed. Like, if he succeeds, yay! If he doesn't, he's dead. And that's sad, but whatever. He's but in he's, apostate now. He's, he's just the most some guy Mandalorian of all time. It's it's interesting that the armorer sort of bullshits Bo-Katan into the, the Children of the Watch. And what's really interesting, because I mentioned in, in our episode one, I said there's two major changes or clarifications that they've made to the Children of the Watch. One of them we will get to in the next episode. The other one is the fact fact that she stresses you can leave whenever you want which is not a thing that was stressed in the the first two and a half seasons particularly the fact that up until this point the only way you could get back into the children of the watch was by doing a thing that was literally impossible but also like now you can leave whenever you want that's so culty though you can check out whenever you want and you can never leave. Like that's I love the, that song. It's one of my favorite songs. That's exactly what's going on here where like you can you can leave, but if you if you do that, you'll you will not be walking the path of the Mandalore. And you, you like it's all this manipulation where I, I don't think I don't maybe she believes it genuinely. She's actually being like courteous, but it's I struggle with the making the children of the watch the good guy Mandalorians again. Season two did such a good job. I feel like one of season two's standout things was showing the children of the watch are a cult and that their restrictions are uh, really bad for Din. Yeah, they are trying to walk back. They are trying to make it more like, oh, Din is doing this because he has a personal choice. You and are cowards. Part- Leave it. They are Part of how they are walking it back is they are stressing that, oh, yeah, you can leave whenever you want. Nobody's like keeping you here. But I'm also like, interesting that this comes up right as we've proven there's a way back in where there was not a way to do this prior to this exact moment. Like, oh, this is the point. Uh, sorry, sorry just quick. My other theory about uh, I did that whole bit about how the production stuff ended up with how we are. I am sure a, a, a missive came down from on high. You cannot have Grogu not be in the next season of Mando. I 100% buy that. And I don't think there's much interference at all with story direction for anything Star Wars. I don't buy the Disney overlords kind of thing. But I think marketing via Kathy Kennedy or via somebody higher up than her said, you can't have a grogu season. He's got to be there. I I think he's contractually obligated to show up. He in is. Every he has it in his contract. Yeah, it's in his contract. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and it's there's interesting stuff going on this scene vis-a-vis what happens later. I don't want to spoil it too much, but I do want to say this is also the point where we see for the very first time the armorer starting to bend some of the rules to the children of the watch. Because again, Bo-Katan bullshit technicality, where, oh, you technically bathe in the living waters with your helmet on, so you get to be children of the watch Mandalorian. Now, this is definitely a thing. Well, and I I find it interesting because of 
the armor shit talks Bo-Katan pretty hard the last time we saw her in uh, Book of Boba. But I, I, there's something compelling about royalty to Mandalorians. There's something about the legitimacy that that she's like. We all love I, a royal family. It's like, what if I, what if I kept them. her? What if I kept her around? What if I and Bo-Katan like clearly places some value in the traditions of the Children of the Watch because she keeps her helmet on the whole time, as Din instructs her to do. Uh, but she also puts a lot of value into her witness of Din bathing in the living waters because she says it to Paz and then she says it again to uh, Bo-Katan. Nobody fucking asks Bo-Katan or she says it to the armor. Nobody fucking asks Bo-Katan if Din went in, but Bo just volunteers this information. It's like, yeah, I was witness to it. And like, she very clearly knows what the way is. She's like, I'm not about this, this uh, whole cult thing you have going on here, but I respect the armor's station, yeah. at least. To me, I feel like it's the difference between like being a Christian fundamentalist and somebody who goes to church on Sundays and like hangs out with those people. Like you, you go say the same prayers and you go, you believe in the same things. The Fundamentalists are real hardcore. That is their life. So for for Bo-Katan, the tra- traditions are a big thing. She was a royal family. She believes in the the righteousness of the path of the Mandalore. Her family is chill about the helmet thing, and so was everyone else on Mandalore. And then there were pacifists. But like, if, if we're thinking about pre-Satine, the the Mandalorian armor sort of era, she grew up in that. And then there were those one weirdos at the one church down the way, and that's basically how she talks about them in season two. So she's basically almost like she's forced to go to a different church now she still knows prayers but the people are different yeah you would really like our episode one if you haven't listened to our episode one coverage with aaron yeah sorry uh, i don't listen to podcasts all that often you guys are great this is this is a character flaw with me that's all right uh i'm gonna recommend that episode specifically to you i i I hope i'm not ripping off anything i promise that was just off you're not you're reinforcing a lot of the points she made. So I'm going to recommend, I know your job doesn't let you listen to a lot of podcasts, but if you find yourself for the spare two hours, you should listen to that episode because Weekend uh, a shifts lot of, get pretty boring. I might have a lot time. of what you're saying follows on with what she was talking about with the notion of fundamentalism and how that is baked into the children of the watch and how that all is like how it's playing out in an interesting way this season uh although she had only seen episode one at the time it's very interesting stuff and it will get more interesting for that episode five the one calvin's gonna be on is where it gets real interesting yeah the what the stuff i've seen is uh her trying to adjust which it's, sort of reinforces my point about different churches it's gonna be a lot of fun because we're having wyatt on this one and then i keep referencing that a lot of stuff in this episode is gonna come up at episode five the one calvin's gonna be on and it will come up again in episode eight, uh, which we can't am... put Andy on banned. No, but we have something really. So we have someone really fun for episode eight. That's awesome. I am. I am delighted. That is all of my yeah, I'm, notes I'm out. for this section. Great. Well, then let's go into directed and written by. So I do want to say uh, that it does piss me off a little bit that the concept art is cooler always than the episode is. Uh, this does annoy <laughs> me, particularly the bit where there's all of the Star Destroyers lined up in the decommission yard mm, okay this makes me angry uh and i have to voice my anger on the podcast tell us who directed and wrote this episode bradley absolutely so directed by lee isaac chung written by first billing noah clore and john favreau noah clore what is your deal <laughs> i knew you were gonna who say are something. you who are you i've Desperate. literally i know i knew you were gonna do this 
So I tried to look him up and literally I tried to type his name on Instagram and tried to type his name on Twitter. I'm like, I cannot find him anywhere. He is. I don't think he's real. I think he's fake. He's real. He's a fake There's person. a photo of him on IMDb. We have looked. Yeah. Him up and before. we learned that AI can do anything now. So you know what? I don't <laughs> think that's a real person because it's the only photo of him that exists. Although there is there was some kind of Zoom meeting thing that happened, apparently, because there's a little picture of him in the corner. And then like Bryce Dallas Howard's down here and another one. So they had like some kind of writers, directors like round table or something round table thing yeah and he was there giving his opinion or something and i was like okay so maybe he's real maybe he's not i'm not sure very conspiracy theory but yeah so noah clore wyatt for wyatt who uh who who wasn't following us through our journey through the book of boba fett no but i remember us talking about this okay Okay, great. This really is a sequel to your episode on Book of Boba Fett. It was at least mentioned because I remember I remember that exact photo of him. I remember was, Googling him before and being done, like, wow, what a hairline. Yeah, he's done mostly short films. Uh, and then he got on to uh, The Lion King in 2019. And it looks like uh, he did some other stuff. And then he was a staff writer on Book of Boba Fett. And now he has the written by credit. Here's my wild conspiracy theory. Noah Clore wrote the entire Dr. Pershing stuff. John Favreau wrote the first scene and the last scene, and Noah Clore wrote everything in between based on oh. a story that John Favreau gave him. I don't think that's a conspiracy theory at all. I, I accept it completely as true. I, I think was that about makes to say the same so thing. much sense because it's so tonally different than the entire rest of the series. 100%. It feels like he got certain beats. So John Favreau said, you need to do a story about Dr. Pershing getting his mind wiped by Elia Kane, and you can do whatever you want in between that i feel it and then noah clore just went and wrote the episode and that's why it feels so weird and i think that's also probably why they structured it like that was because what noah clore gave them was like they were like okay we we can't really intercut this well maybe because we're not good at it but like it, it, they just were like fuck it we'll do it we'll do the whole thing and then we'll get back to the mandalorian which yep. again they did with book of boba so they're they're they've committed to this good it's or for ill it's yeah. also because Noah Clore, if you look at his his history, he wrote and directed a lot of short films. He wrote and directed three Ooh. short films, Sleigh Bells, The Amazing Cartwright, and Enlightened. And when you write short films, you have to be really economical about right. your writing. You have to really convey a lot of information in a very short amount of time. Every scene with Dr. Pershing does not waste a minute. Every single, there's a reason I had dozens of notes for this. Every single minute has something going on. And that's the hallmark of somebody who started writing shorts. Well, and, and this is also probably he was told, well, this was going to be three episodes of Rangers of the New Republic, an ongoing plot line, and you've got 30 minutes. I badly, badly want to get Noah Clore either on this show or on some show. Noah Clore, give one interview that I can watch. I want I want the Rinsler books, the making of Star Wars, those excellent coffee table books. I want them for the Disney era. I don't care how long I have to wait. I want to know all the behind the scenes stuff for this era. I want to know what the hell happened. Wyatt, you had some production drama theories that you wanted to share that I've been putting off. Uh, no, and that was I've it. shared my conspiracy No, theory, that's, we kind of were, I you were doing your thing without, uh, when we were doing the pre-meeting thing, you, like, when you left, he kind of suggested this. 
was that oh. it was essentially Rangers of the New Republic subplot that they decided to drop in that somebody else wrote and they just literally put okay. the script in here. Basically that I, I think they've been kicking the can down the road since Gina went Q and that's why Book of Boba ended up the way it did and that's why this episode is is, is sort of stuck here in this season because it right. needs to happen. It show it needs to happen for stuff they're setting up down the line even though we say John doesn't plan, right. Dave does and this I would bet is like we need this for later basically yeah, i 100%. i fully believe this and and like with the noah clore theory i accept it completely without hesitation it makes so much sense to me that that's why book of boba fett got fucked slightly well and this was and this was like a thing i suspected at the time was that the rangers of the new republic shakeup affected book of boba but this seems like it now with the way Mandalorian season three is gone, it, it it seems like it's affected it in a specific way. Like that's that's how it affected it. Is it this story necessitated those episodes? And in retrospect, the Book of Boba Fett duology, the the Return of the Mandalorian and Stranger in a Strange Land, or not Stranger in a Strange Land, From the Desert Comes a Stranger, would have worked fairly well as an opener to this season. That's what they were. If, I'm convinced if, of it. it because 100%. the whole season, the whole season is about reconciling identity. So opening up the season with Din coming into his identity as yeah. Grogu's parental figure, you know, leading into again stuff that Wyatt hasn't seen, but also Grogu making the choice between being Mandalorian and being a Jedi. Yeah, that makes so much goddamn sense that that was originally well, planned to be the like, opener of the season. From the Desert Comes a Stranger with the Luke Ahsoka stuff, that episode is a fucking mess in terms of what's in it. And but that first one, Return of the Mandalorian, is just it is a season premiere. It just is. It doesn't make like it the way it does its stuff is not how an episode six or seven of a show does stuff. It returns us Din's first appearance on the Mandalorian doing a bounty hunting mission. Like that that episode I don't think was at altered at all. I think the next one was, but that is just the season three premiere of the Mandalorian punted back because we needed the Pershing plot. I I agree with this wholeheartedly. Yeah, that makes so, so much goddamn sense. I, and I like I I I somehow feel a little bit better about it now, knowing that there was seemingly a reason why this happened. It just it's just a mess. I it, it only the only way I can sort of just like ignore it is I just think it's all Star Wars. Really matter what the title is. It's telling an ongoing story. We knew that. It's chill. I think, and I mentioned this, I think, in episode one of our Mando season three coverage. Uh, or I think it might have been two when we did the Pelimoto scene, where I said that a lot of the problems with the Book of Boba Fett could have been fixed by simply titling it The Mandalorian colon The Book of Boba Fett. A lot of problems yeah, could have been fixed. It could have just been the continuation of the front, show. Yeah. Or if you're gonna, if you were always gonna bring Din back, truncate a couple of those really slow beginning episodes and commit. But that's not because that that wasn't the plan. It was a slow show that was building to a slow ending, and then it got really fast for a bit, and then it was confusing, and then it ended. Well, now you can also look at it like if you remove the Din and Grogu subplot from the ending, it changes virtually nothing right. about yes, the ending because they weren't there. Because it, they weren't it, supposed to be there. No. <laughs> Ugh, that makes That's, that makes so much sense. That makes they're, so they're much the sense. They're the Cara. They're the reverse Cara Dune. Like they. <laughs> <laughs> they don't it's awesome the fight scenes with din and boba were sick i'm glad that we got those that was cool maybe din showing up in the finale 
could have happened, but the Grogu beats shouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. Dendra shows up in the finale. That that's how they should have done it. Dendra shows up at the finale in the the end of episode six. They're like, I know a guy who can help us. Din comes back for the finale, which makes narrative sense in a decent TV yes. show. You would bring him back for the finale. He still gets his moment with Boba. I think he's that's... like, you still believe that stuff. And I think that's probably, and that sets up premiere episode of Mandalorian season three, where he goes back and it has all that stuff with the dark saber on the ring world. It, it, it just like, it should have been done a little bit differently and it would have been great. I think they were not to Krennic it, but they were this close. <laughs> Uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who is our director for the episode, very similar to Noah Clore, actually, in that he, he doesn't have a lot of credits, and he has a lot of credits where he's both the director and the writer on various shorts and films and things, and also the cinematographer. So he's a guy with not a whole lot of experience, and he does a lot of like tripling up and doubling up for other projects he's done, which is very interesting. Notably, Abigail Harm, he's the director, cinematographer, and writer for that. Minari, he's the director and writer for. So it looks like this is, he's been making them pretty steadily since 2004, but he's got like large gaps in them. So I'd be interested to know more about this guy's career, but he hasn't done a whole hell of a lot of, he's not like one of those directors where he's directed an episode of everything. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a very deliberate, very, looks like very like hands-on director. He's got two Academy Award, Award nominations for Minari though. So he's not, he's no slouch. Yeah, don't mistake that for me saying he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> It's yeah. just, no, I know. picked I... a guy who's very, again, with the cinematography, very like methodical. He clearly puts a lot of time and effort into the things that he does, which is why he doesn't have a lot of credit. And this, I think, was a good match to this episode. Pairing him up with what is very obviously Noah Clore's writing makes the middle 35 minutes of this episode a very, very, very good episode. Wyatt, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? No. <laughs> <laughs> that I is mean, the first yeah, time you pretty I've much ever gave, heard that. No, but I mean, you pretty much gave your final thoughts, essentially. You, you know, you, you were like, you conspiracy theory of what it all means. So I, I feel like you kind yeah. of essentially and I am like that already. I will say I am going to watch the rest of the Mandalorian season three. I'm excited to see where it goes. I, I see I've heard about and seen some stuff I'm excited about. Um, I look forward to whatever zombified Rangers of the New Republic plot thread gets picked up in the next Star Wars project when we find out what what all this meant but oh the next one's Ahsoka and Dave's not gonna let anybody take time away yeah, from what I was he gonna say to in Ahsoka <laughs> that's gonna be its own thing it's never gonna be interrupted by the Mandalorian that we think <laughs> good I love Rebels I want Rebels season five my final thoughts are I actually also have no final thoughts that I have not already stated what are your final thoughts Bradley final thoughts this is my favorite episode of star wars tv live action i just love i love i love a good short story and that's what this is you know i think this is just like a nice little star wars is our first star wars short story essentially and i i like it however again it this is somebody because obviously noah is from book of boba land and i feel like he accidentally or non-accidentally brought over his structural problems onto this episode and that's my only dig at this episode is structural problems but i think mandoverse is going to be plagued by this issue moving forward in our timeline because 
it just it's gonna become if you haven't seen mando one two three four five six you're gonna hate mando avengers four five seven eight nine you know it's just not gonna work so you have to see everything before otherwise it's not gonna work this jumps and or for you your favorite episode of star wars tv I don't think of them as the same. So I okay, don't think, of, yeah, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Andor is its own thing. Kenobi is its own thing. And then Mandoverse is its own gotcha. thing. So uh, I do, I'm that's how on, I, my I'm brain I'm back works. on board. No, I, I okay. totally am with you. I was just yeah. like, how? In what world? Sorry, Sometimes... what I should specify is Mandoverse TV. Yes. I, I think of that as it, Mandoverse is its own Star Wars TV. I don't think of it as the same as the other things because they totally genuinely agree. are their own thing. Wyatt has discovered one of my favorite parts of hosting this podcast, which is that despite talking into a microphone for two years, Bradley sometimes has to be translated for. You kind of have to know what he's saying and be able to translate that into coherent words what that humans can understand. And speaking of things that are coherent words that humans can understand, Wyatt, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Would you like to provide all of the first step shout outs? Uh, Because I haven't fucking done that enough this episode. No, so I'm from First Steps, a Star Wars podcast. We uh, release on Tuesdays, usually every two weeks. And we are just about to start our coverage of Rebels Season 2. Our last episode was Tales of the Jedi. We've been trying to get that done for a while because it doesn't really fit our timeline stuff. Back on the timeline, moving forward with the Siege of Lethal, which will be our next episode. And you can find us basically wherever you get your podcasts. We're First Steps Star Wars on Instagram, First Steps SW on Twitter. Allegedly, we have a Facebook. Uh, I hate Facebook, so but I think it exists. If you put First Steps to Star Wars podcast, you'll find us. And that's me, uh, Calvin and Andy. Andy, the newcomer who hasn't seen Star Wars, so don't spoil them. Uh, but in And my co-host Calvin will be on this very podcast for episode episode five awesome well thank you once again for joining us uh it Always was a pleasure, a pleasure to get you on the sequel to the episode that you <laughs> want with us for book of boba fett uh and we will try to get you on a better episode next time we will get, get you, you something on the, uh, on the really book of good. boba fett ahsoka episode yes uh, that's what you're we'll, that's we'll what get... we promise <laughs> well again thank you for coming on and bradley go ahead and and run now now bradley uh when you run our socials they're not they're not voiced by an ai are they uh are, they, are they are not they are voiced by the narrator of clone wars because we haven't changed it yet um mm-hmm. and that definitely isn't a voice synth right like definitely not is that is actual... the actual narrator from actual clone wars because he's actually saying listen to gold squadron gaze yeah, and we as... we got we got uh before he had to to tragically retire from voice acting uh we did get Tom Kane uh, to do that voice uh, and definitely, awesome. definitely did not use a synthesized. Uh, Wait, I can't tell if this is a bit. Did you actually get Tom Kane? <laughs> we did not actually get Tom Kane. This is a bit. Bradley did a Yularen um, like Clone Wars announcer synthesized, really badly synthesized voice yep. as a joke and then just left it in because we haven't bothered to record a new one. Nice. <laughs> Please run the socials, Bradley. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze.
Wait, no. Are are y'all just summarizing the episodes off the cuff? I, so Do I don't know. Not write that down. I don't know if Calvin writes it down. He writes a lot of stuff down, but I know not most of our content. We we have notes. I I don't really take any notes. This is a bad habit that started because we spent a hundred episodes on a show I'd seen every episode of at least three times. So like I knew Clone Wars like the back of my hand. Uh. So now I have like like a high schooler who's now in college. I have bad study habits.